Today's podcast is sponsored by Casper. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash GOT and using GOT promo code at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 7, Episode 5, titled Eastwatch. Uh, Aaron, we've seen it twice now. Our instant take was, I I would say, pretty brutal. Uh, It was negative in tone, certainly. After seeing it again, what do you think? I think this episode was a very entertaining hour of television. It was deliberately constructed to be so. There was many, many callbacks to not only things that we fondly remember from previous episodes and previous seasons, but also pairings that we were long awaiting, meta-references to meta-conversations about the show out of the characters' own mouths. Like Uh Those things were very delightful. Um but underneath that, like I guess as I thought about this, um, my core complaint is that the the overall thrust of the season, as I understand it, is dumb. Okay. Like, the idea that you can catch a white and then take it to Cersei. Oh, and, the overall and, thrust and, of the episode. And not that, because like, okay. I don't think that would work, but the fact that the other characters that I consider smart and the ones that have suffered so much at the hands of Cersei and her backstabbing, the fact that any of them could think that this plan would work, that they would go and Mm -hmm. and have this dancing dead puppet and say, look, Cersei, and Cersei soberly looks and says, yes, I must, you know, commit the forces I don't have uh, to, to this greater good of the realm is just laughable. It is. And, and, there's also no hint that there's any kind of other side to it. Like this is a trap they're going to set to Cer- for Cersei to end it, and and maybe that's where they're going. And then this will this will be brilliant. But you know, as constructed, some of this stuff just seems ridiculous. Just like even if everything goes the way the heroes want it to, they're going to be left at the situation where they are their position on the board is not materially changed. And I sure. can't I can't get over that. Yeah, and if it has changed, it's changed for the worse. Because I'm, I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, they want an armistice. They want a ceasefire while they deal with the threat from the north. Uh-huh. Um, best case scenario, that's going to decimate their forces. Right. Which, if they're successful, would leave them vulnerable potentially to Cersei Lannister, right. who's gonna be there to play mop up. You Which know? that's Danny's argument. That that argument makes sense. Look, if yeah. if I do what you want and I save the realm, I'm gonna save it for Cersei Lannister. Right. Which may maybe that's something that as your Danny you should do as an altruistic person. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh yeah, but I guess that doesn't leave you know, the the people there in in the realm in much better of a situation than they started off in. Right. Uh, which is unfortunate for them. Uh but yeah I so I do think that yes, um that was maybe the dumbest plot development in the entirety of Game of Thrones right. that I've seen to date. Um, and it's almost I, like the Double Ds knew that. Like, we have no great reason to bring these characters in these locations and, and delay this. Um, 
So we are going and we don't to, have time to manufacture those reasons. So we're just going to do it and whistle and 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 have Gendry pick up a warhammer and have Davos say, "You just, it looks like your your arms are jacked from still rowing and crab meat," right. and it's it's gonna it's gonna be fine. Yeah, and I I definitely think the show is suffering from the pacing, um, the necessary pacing uh, uh-huh. shortcuts that they're taking. But I do agree that it was also very entertaining. Like, I really, really enjoyed that scene with Davos where yes. he's being, you know, Westerosi uh, Han Solo, essentially. Right, right. Um, I really liked a couple of other scenes in this, and I thought it was a lot of fun, even if it was different, I guess, from what Game of Thrones has been in the past. Um, I, I think that's just the new reality we have to settle into. Yeah. Because this show doesn't have the time to be the old Game of Thrones anymore. And I'm debating because, like, you know, one of the things we kind of made our bones on here at Bald Move is we just give our opinions. Most of the time mm-hmm. it's good because we're covering good shows that we like. Some of the times yeah. uh, they're negative uh, because either, you know, it strikes us funny or a show takes an occasional misstep or sometimes it's, it just turns into a train wreck. And I kept on thinking, like, I know just guys bitching about the show is not entertaining, but on the other hand, like, sometimes you can see when a show starts to spiral down. Like, remember, season over, uh, season two, The Walking Dead, mm-hmm. the whole episode is constructed upon the fact that these group of survivors have to be surprised by this giant herd of zombies, and they chose to film it in the middle of a straight stretch of highway 10 miles long, yeah, where you have good visibility up and down the road. Mm-hmm. So when your eyes are saying, how the fuck can these guys be surprised that this is coming, and yet the whole episode is, 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 is built upon you being like, well, forget what my eyes say. They, they're, it, it's happening, so I have to go with it. That's yeah. the kind of stuff that erodes your suspension of disbelief. It does. And I think that, number one, it's, uh, I've, I've decided it's not a huge concern for Game of Thrones because at the end of the day, in, in seven more eight more episodes, this whole thing's done. Right. Okay? So so <laughs> Game of Thrones cannot devolve into seasons worth of wasting our time. No, it's going to do the exact opposite. It's going right. to do... It's going to potentially devolve into seasons... One season worth of skipping over important things that you kind of want to see. Right. Um, in favor of the important things that need to happen to get to the conclusion of the story. And, and also the fact... The other thing I think that, like, if you're looking... So, so the other side of the argument is if you're looking for grand strategy and narratives to start op- – it, it's no, it's not going to happen. Like even if this yeah. was written perfectly, the show is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. So there aren't going to be any more grand, sprawling, epic things that can happen and betrayals because there's not that much runway left. Yeah. And and I don't – I mean this is something we can debate once we see the whole series as a whole. But like it might be something that where people say, should the Double Ds have jettisoned intricate plotting and gone for spectacle – at this stage, should they put it off into the last season? Should like you know what what exactly? And, and there's so much, there's so much meta analysis of like you know like we casually say like well the double D's are sick of this they want to be done like that's just something I've gotten from a couple burnt out showrunners doing press. Mm-hmm. Like you understand that like even if you love your job, nobody loves doing press for it. And on the press right. tour, when you're doing it for like 30 days and you just gotten done spending 10 months of your life making the thing, yeah. you probably just want to be like, God, can I get a month away so I can then plunge myself in another 78-hour work? So it's like, I don't even know if that's true. Mm-hmm. But yet that's the narrative, right? Sure. Just like the narrative is, oh, every episode this season is going to be huge spectacle and longer than the right. average one. turns out that's not actually true. None of, none of that came true. It right. was simply... It, it was fan, you know, wishes. 
Right. Essentially. Like, but, hey, we're so close to the end. It's got to be big, right? Well, I, I also think that, you know, uh, a lot of principals in the TV show encourage that type of thinking. Too. Sure. Why wouldn't they? And they yeah. do. Like, even The Walking Dead in its old wheezing state, every single time you can find a press of a- Andrew Lincoln saying, oh, this this year is the one where it gets really crazy. <laughs> we'll wait till, <laughs> right. you know, uh, it's like, okay. You won't believe what crazy weapon Gendry uses. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. So it's like it's 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 tough because you know it's there's a lot of there's a lot of blame and credit to go around. I don't think this episode's terrible. I do think no. that, and and that's the thing. Like the previous the previous episode is really good. Yeah, and it left us with a, 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 a bullshit half ass cliffhanger of Jamie being in the water. No one believed that Jamie is going to die. No, um, but. A lot of people are thinking, like, well, what's going to happen now? Like, this is, like, right next to Danny. This is the heart of the battle. Mm-hmm. Oh, what happens when him and Braun get taken prisoner? What happens when the – and then the fact that they just wake up a mo- – the, the next thing, they, they, they come up from air gasping for breath, mm-hmm. implying that they just now surfaced, and they're, like, a mile or two away down the river bend. Yeah. Flowing upriver. Oh, they're upriver? Like because downriver would take them right to King's Landing. Well, maybe that's what happened. They, then, then they crawled to King's Landing. But yeah. it, it just seems silly because especially since they needed to get Tyrion and Jamie together mm-hmm. so that Jamie could carry a message to Cersei. Well, a damn fine way to do that is to have him be captured. Yeah. And for Tyrion to be like, look, let my, my bro. This is the only person who will listen. The same fucking script and dialogue. You just tweak the situation. So. Well, how did this? How how did we get what we got? And you know, are are we bad people for sitting there and being like, oh well, my fragile suspension of disbelief is 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 teetering? Like, I I, I don't know. Well, I think it's the majority sentiment, honestly. Yes. Most of what I read over the course of the last two days has been not entirely negative, but right. mostly negative about the pacing Worried. and about the, the plot developments yes. of this episode. And I particular. will say that this is not the first time this has happened on this show. Like no. there was a lot of this similar sentiment in the midpoints of like season five where you were mm. knee deep in bad pussy. And Oh, sure. Um, yeah. So, you know, it, it, this could be like last week is the most amazing episode ever this week. Uh, fan servicey plot, kind of creaky. Uh, the next two episodes could, could make or break the season. Um, yeah. You know, but that's the other thing. It's like, what does that even mean? Like, the next two episodes are kind of turds, but spectacle. Like, they're still going to set records next year oh, because yeah. who is going to nope out of six more episodes of Game of Thrones? N- nobody. No. Even if you're going to hate watch it, you're going to yeah. watch it. Even the people who say, I'm done, nope, this is it. Right. The, my final season. No, they'll be back for next season. You know, you will. Right. Especially since it's going to be 18 and you're going to miss it. And, you know, and I, yeah. the only thing I, I guess the only thing I can promise is we'll be along the ride with you because mm-hmm. we, we've always tried to. You know, we're not super meta. We don't have any industry connections. We're just watching this and and talking about it like anybody else. So, uh, hopefully, our reaction is is representative of the larger fandom, or at least we can represent all the different voices of that debate. Um, you know, and that's that's I guess that's the best we can do. Yeah, I agree. This seems very silly now, but I, I mentioned this in the spoiler podcast, but I know that the spoiler podcast traffic is not even a fraction of the, the main podcast. Uh, I actually looked into whether you can swim in a, a suit of armor. Uh, yes. and it turns out some guy like se- seven years ago uh, had full like 50, 60 pound plate armor that he jumped in a swimming pool and attempted to swim and it did not go well. No, uh, that's shocking. Yeah, Tru- truly shocking. So, so Vimeo, uh, there's a Vimeo uh, link that will be in the main podcast where you can actually see that, uh, and that's pretty cool. Uh, you, you should check it out. But apparently, Jamie is wearing plot armor. 
yeah. which is impervious to dragon fire. A lot lighter. Less, yeah. as, as dense as styrofoam. <laughs> actually helps you swim. Yeah. So uh, that's 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 what he was rocking. But like I said, it seemed, I did all that scholarly research and then... Wah, wah. Yep. Okay, let's get into the recap. We start off with Braun pulling Jamie out of the water. Did you, I also like how armor. I just described scholarly research as me watching a Vimeo video. Yeah. No, that's... <laughs> I mean, that's what they mean. That's a definition, right? Yeah, that is scholarly. <laughs> uh, he questions why Jamie would do something as stupid as charging a dragon and says, hey, you can't die. No one gets to kill you except me uh, until I get what I'm owed. Braun decides he's done fighting for the Lannisters, and Jamie decides that he has to tell Cersei about the dragons. Which, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, of course you have to tell Cersei about the dragons. Yeah. They're a game changer. <laughs> they are, for sure. Um, it, it, w- there was some debate, uh, not not very vigorous, but obviously it was going to be Bronn who pulled Jamie out of the water. Nobody nobody thought Dickon was the guy who ran up and mm-hmm. charged and There was a couple people making the horse. argument, but yeah. Yeah, they were obviously, obviously wrong. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and this episode proved them so. Um I, I, there are a lot of good character moments uh, between characters that are already established and have relationships, right? Uh-huh. Um, like the, the stuff with Davos and Tyrion later on, um, yeah, and and Gendry, who's a new character essentially. Um, but in this scene, I think there are some really good moments between Bronn and Jaime, where Bronn, I, Bronn is fed up, yeah, rightfully so. You know, he, this is not what he signed up for. He signed up right. to get a castle, to get a wife, and mm-hmm. to settle down. Yeah. And now here he is out in a field getting attacked by dragons. This is not what he wanted. Yeah, like... Uh, no castle is worth this. Dragons is where our partnership ends, as he says. Yeah. yeah. And the thing is, you got to be alive to enjoy a castle and a wife right. and a pile of gold. Yeah. Uh, so I, I really felt for Braun in this episode. He he got bamboozled by Jamie and he's done with it. Yeah, and I also wonder long term how damaged he is going to be inside the Lannister. I, I don't know what I, I don't know what Bron, like. It wouldn't surprise me to see Bronn go over to J- to Tyrion's side at this point. Yeah, like we might never like Jamie's going to be like, okay, Bronn, let's go, and j- just Bronn's gone. He's he's over on Dragonstone. Like yeah. I'm I'm back in the winning side. So dragons, huh? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I can I can shovel dragon shit with the best of them. Uh, <laughs> right. I yeah yeah I don't I if in fact it's almost kind of a plot hole if uh, he shows up and he's still with Jamie. Yeah. Are you telling me that point... Bronn can't smuggle himself out of King's Landing and row over to Dragonstone? Oh, for sure. And are you telling me that he shows up and says I'm a friend of the hand of the queen that Tyrion's going to reject him? Mm-hmm. No way. So, like, yep. I know I know that. Bronn knows that. The play for Bronn is obviously to go to Dragonstone. I think so, yeah. All right. Uh, then we get uh, some shots of Tyrion surveying the battlefield carnage. Uh, Danny gathers the remaining Lannisters and demands that they bend the knee or die. Uh, I actually wrote and die <laughs> in this, which I'm not <laughs> sure is completely wrong. Yep. Um, Randall and Dickon both refuse to kneel, and Drogon burns them up. Yeah. This is an awesome scene. This scene of Drogon, like we talked about an instant cast, but this scene out of the of Drogon atop the hill while Danny holds court yeah. is just something out of a Renaissance painting. It, it is. It almost looks like the cover of all the the cheesy fantasy books that you see. Yeah, but it's so well done. Bjorn Vallejo or whatever. Like you know, this is a, right. this is a Conan the Barbarian cover. Yeah, and it's it's gorgeous. And the fact that like I liked how like. You know, there was a couple of dudes like Lannister soldiers, like yeah, fuck this, kneeling right away. Yep. And then like 
you know, Drogon roars at him and a couple more kneel, and then by the time Tarly's die screaming, everybody bends the knee. Yeah. Um and I I like that. I like I like the fact that they had the you know a nice moment with Randall where he is you know confronted with the fact that he's already kind of flip flopped before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, interesting. A lot of people e- emailed me and, and and reminded me that Randall Tarley is one of the ones that fought for the Targaryens in the Roberts Rebellion. Huh, okay. In fact, they mention uh, Stannis mentions in season four or five to Sam when he's talking about it that. Randall is the only commander that handed Robert a defeat during mm. the uh, the Battle of Ashford. So <laughs> it is weird that he is so anti-Targaryen, you know. But I guess it's more you know, they, they, they try to show this from from uh, they try to show this from Tyrion's perspective, like just how lunar this battlescape was and how yeah. this is like something that is not normal and doesn't happen. Uh, and the fact that, like, the Dothraki are just there scavenging amongst the dead, that's kind of distasteful to a Westerosi eye. And uh, and how that these are foreign barbarians with the foreign queens. Like, it's it's different. But it is weird that you know, the show has positioned him as this, like, kind of, like, unmovable oak when he fought for the Targaryens and lost, fought for the Tyrells and lost, fought against the Tyrells, won, then fought against the Targaryens again, lost everything. Um I don't know. Yeah. I, I think there's a lot of complex stuff going on in this scene, um, specifically with Tyrion. Uh, he's looking at this this devastation and probably just imagining this is what, you know, even the people that he cares about in his family could look like. This is what right. everyone he knows from King's Landing would look like if the dragons attacked it. Right. Um, he, he's also just, like, seeing how Danny treats anyone who doesn't, you know, essentially bend the knee to her. Do you? So I got a couple of questions about that, about the wisdom of that. But I also, I also don't know why Tarly didn't take the black, especially once his son was involved. Yeah, like he's got this bullshit. Oh well, you're not my queen. You've got no authority. Well, then you're going to die. And it seems like he wanted think, his son. You think to that's kneel. an option? I don't know that Danny would have let him take the black. Uh, I. Th- that's I mean, I read custom. I read the scene. First of all, if she doesn't do that, then she's really flouting Westerosi conventions. I mean, that's what she said is, you know, you either bend the knee or you die. Yeah. That is your choice. So, so how did you like I when I was I paid attention to the reaction when Tyrion suggested it and it looked yeah. like she was open to it. And then he just arrogantly said, you don't have the authority. You're not my queen. Right. So then it's like and that's why that I. <laughs> If they'd left that out, then I guess I would have felt more from Tyrion's perspective that, like, well, you know, you, you could have not burnt the father and, and the child right there in front of everybody. But, like, the fact that she – there was a way out that he wouldn't even consider. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's a provocation against Danny's authority. Okay. N- now, yeah. the flip side of that is, as she says, look, well, if, if you can be chained up, then a lot of people will take the chaining – the flip side of that is you're forcing a lot of people that are not loyal to you into your inner circle. Mm-hmm. Like, it wouldn't surprise me if there's a whole bunch of Lannister saboteurs going on now. And it's like, if you if it's all black and white, kneel or die, you're going to have a lot of kneelers with, with, with long knives behind their back ready to stab. Right. This is why I... I can't remember if I said this in the instant take or not, but this is why I think that they're setting up Danny and Sansa to sort of be opposites in their leading styles. Because Danny is very much like... I'm going to make you bend the knee, right. and then I'm going to I'm going to bring you into my fold. Whereas Sansa says, "Hey, I'm not going to force you into this fold. I'm going to make it a good idea for you to join me, right. um, and we're all going to work together to do this thing." 
as opposed to Danny, who says, I'm doing this thing and you're getting behind me. Right. I, I feel like they're they're putting some uh, weight to both sides there with those two characters. But I did. I thought the dialogue here with Danny's speech to the soldiers about how she come to break the wheel and don't believe the lies Cersei Lannister says, like that, that stuff was all really well done. Mm-hmm. This whole scene, pretty good. It was. Um, then Jamie tells Cersei that, he goes, he goes back to King's Landing, tells Cersei that they can't win the war, and, oh, by the way, Elena killed Joffrey. Cersei's um, pretty hesitant to believe that, but he she eventually buys it. So I you think, think you did, guys, that was a question I had of whether you thought she in the end, that, that, ja- that Jamie persuaded her with his chain of logic and evidence. Yeah, I, I think Cersei has not stopped um, stewing. Uh-huh. Long enough to think about, you know, the logistics of it and why the motivations of it and why someone would want to kill Joffrey. Right. Um, and then when Jamie brings that up, it makes a lot of sense to her because she knows Joffrey was a shit. Yeah. And that Tommen was she a did. docile little pet. She did. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, and then Cersei, you know, they talk about the battle and Jamie's trying to tell her, hey, we can't win this. She says she'd rather fight and die than surrender and die. And, and also. <laughs> They're in love with the, they're in love with even numbers in the show. Uh, yeah. Apparently, Danny burnt a thousand wagons. I thought it was more like twelve, but right. <laughs> so now it's plausible that this is some kind of slow moving holocaust we just saw. Yeah, the fact that she burnt up all the food in the realm. A thousand wagons is a lot of dan- That's a lot of wagons. A lot of food. It's and we it's, know it wasn't gold because no. all the gold made it behind the walls right so it may have been like armor and right. swords like, like, but mostly and, and they've established the north doesn't really have enough to, to feed their population mm-hmm. this is i mean what kind of what kind of pyrrhic victory we're going to we're going to win here like okay we saved the we saved the world from the white walkers but you're going to starve because mm-hmm. you need to eat in the in the months it's going to take the plant and 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 sow and reap a harvest right or will the show just not like uh, it's a thousand wagons whatever Euron's got a thousand ships so i'm i'm wondering like John's got 10,000 dudes. <laughs> right. Danny's got 100,000. Why not? Yeah, right. How many Unsullied? I don't know. 1,000, 10,000. Yeah, Who yeah. cares? Is that believable? Ah, whatever. Uh, so I, I'm i thinking about, like, the long winter, right? Like, everybody everybody talks about how long the winter is and how nobody really knows how long it can last. Right. Um, when it comes. The, the last kind of long a rare night thing. was generational. Right, right. So you would think, like, they would be super worried about food in that situation, right? right. Because you can't really grow food during that period. Sure. So you have to stock it all up. Now, if they can successfully stave off that winter um, by destroying the Night's King or whatever, maybe they don't have such a problem, right? Maybe they have enough food to get through a few years, but not a, a decade. That's true. Yeah. So... I'm, I'm hoping that 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 is the case. I have a, I get a lot of emails. I'm gonna try to head them off. I get a lot of emails speculating on what's going to happen with the Long Night Part Two that lasts for like decade, and I'm just like, it, that, just stop. That's not going to happen because yeah. the show is going to wrap up one way or another before decades pass. Okay, so yeah. you know, depending on what Martin's playing at, either the White Walkers are going to win a swift and brutal victory, and Westeros is populated by ice zombies or they're going to it's this is not the tale of the original long night where generations of man suffer 
somehow they eke out an existence until the last hero arrives, slash Azora High, slash the prince that was promised, and they forge a pact with the children of men with 12 companions, and they go and somehow beat back the White Walkers, build... A- that's that's not what this story is about. No, no, that is the last six episodes. That all happens <laughs> yes, yes. in the last six. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um... <laughs> And yeah, you had, it's, it's just every. There's going to be a new cast every episode, <laughs> right? As the, the last generation of shitty Starks have died and shitty Lannisters. Um, yeah, I don't know. Drogon's going to be the. He's going to be the R two D two of the series. He's going to be the only it's one that's story. in all the seasons. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That's that's not what this story is. It's coming no. to its end. Um, it won't. the The story itself is not going to survive a long winter. No. Uh, so we go over to the double D's. Don't have enough food to provide George Martin. The or decade. the writing staff. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we go over to Dragonstone, and John is petting a dragon, and Danny's watching. Uh, then she tells John that the dragons are her children, and she killed a bunch of troops, just like John did when he was taking back Winterfell. She asks him about the knife and the heart, um, but Jorah interrupts before he can explain anything. Uh, he sword block. He, he knife blocks. He knife blocks John. He does. Yeah. Uh, John looks like he was grateful to see Jorah at the beginning. Like, uh-huh. He doesn't want to explain this, right? I I still question why. What what is like that's? I mean, I'm, I I I keep falling back to what I said like two weeks ago, which is like if you're trying to tell an incredible story to someone who's barely believing it, you don't want to pot. You don't want to, yeah. you know, uh, like if you pick up to a hitchhiker and they say. Uh, I've got a top secret mission. You got to get me to a secret base, or humanity's going to be lost. Okay, uh-huh. probably reaching for my tire iron. If you start saying that president's out to kill you, and that there's <laughs> a piece of metal embedded in your brain, and there's chemtrails and black hot, then then the tire iron's definitely coming out. Yeah. So I, I guess it's that, but like I just feel like at this point, Danny's convinced, and there there's other problems I'll have. We'll talk about that later. But um, I want to I want to pray. I want to I want to take some time out to praise the show because again, yeah. the Drogon stuff continues to be amazing. Like they've that come stuff is awesome so far from Robert Ro- Ro- Drogon of of previous uh, seasons. Like when he like buzzes John and then then wheels around and lands and does that kind of like galloping shimmy run. Like it kind of believably like a, what a giant beast like that would run when it doesn't even have like front feet. It's just got the little bat wings, that it's, it's, uh, and mm-hmm. how utterly convincing it is that Kit Harrington's petting this thing. Yeah, like no, it looks I, great. It, it's so good that the first time I watched it, I didn't even my brain didn't even process that I'm watching special effects. That's the thing about this show. I'm consistently amazed with what they can do yeah. given their budget because just absorbed, if, just absorbed. This is like you just get wrapped up in the watching it. You oh don't even yeah, realize yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um. It's impressive to me because I, I was linked uh, an article by one of my friends about the budgets on this this show and how they kind of stack up to other shows. Uh-huh. Um, apparently, they're averaging about six million an episode on this show. That seems extraordinarily low for, for what the for what they're getting out of it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, from not just the you know the special effects and CG and the pyrotechnics and stuff, but if you look at just the costuming and yeah. the landscapes and yeah. location shooting. They are really stretching that money, and it's they're putting it to good use. Yes, I have to say, and I'm constantly impressed with Drogon being on the screen for more than a half a second. Right, every time he's up there, because I'm like, that must cost a lot of money, and I don't know how you guys are making the show. Now I will say that it's starting to get ridiculous that we haven't seen Ghost. 
because yeah, like I, I mean, they talk about how that care. That, I, I do, I do, and it's it's silly that John would go up north to that ghost, and um, the fact that they can splash all this money around and set twenty dudes on fire simultaneously, but you can't composite a real wolf into a scene like it. It's uh, maybe it's maybe if they would s- sit there and and show their budget and walk you through, and they can be like, here's the hundred thousand that uh, that we f- we had to spend on ghost and. Uh, if we did that, we wouldn't, you know, the, the Drogon scene would be three seconds shorter than it was. I mean, I don't know. Yeah. Like I said, it's, it's, it's hard for me to believe that they just can't render the damn wolf when yeah. it's such a fan favorite and we haven't seen him for, he's been missing for two, going on two seasons now. Yeah. I guess it's not a favorite to this fan. Like I, I, ever since like the last time I cared about ghost and thought, yeah, ghost was when he saved Sam and Gilly. Uh-huh. Like how many seasons ago? That might have been pretty three seasons. But ago. like Summer was uh, went out like a hero. I missed the Dire Wolves. I think they're cool. I thought the the Miria reunion scene was good. Yeah. Um I I don't know. I but haven't I, really. So I guess missed that's Ghost the that question. Much. Like, would you go Namiria or would you go a couple scenes of Ghost skulking in the background? I would take Namiria every single time. So sure, maybe that's yeah. the budget. You know, mm-hmm. the way it sorts out, but. You know, given that 100 million people are watching this and the merchandising alone, uh, it's just like, you know, well, yeah. sell a couple, sell a thousand more Game of Thrones t-shirts, bam, you're done. <laughs> right. You're done. You got to go. Can we, go- can ghost we, Kickstarter. Can we have a goat? Yeah, here, this is a t-shirt we are absolutely going to make, a milk carton with with a white giant wolf on it that says, have you seen me? Sell it, donate all proceeds. To, no, we'll donate all to got, our pockets. Got but, Ghost? Yeah, Got Ghost. There you go. Uh <laughs> I don't know. That sounds real dumb. Sounds like something we'd make. <laughs> Hungry for apples. So here's the other thing. Mm-hmm. John and Jorah meet for the first time. Yep. And I uh, serve your father. No mention made of the big honking Valerian steel blade with the white bear's well, head he, on it. He that... No, that's not a bear head anymore. It's a wolf head. I, I think Jorah that's probably book. doesn't recognize I think that's, it. That's something they established in the books, and like it's it, they didn't no, actually didn't the, sh- did they? I, yeah, the hilt was destroyed. It to a wolf, made it a wolf. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. I'm pretty sure it's a wolf now. All right, um, but I feel like John has a responsibility to at least say, "Do you want this sword back?" Or for yeah, so I, the, I know he's like a shamed Mormon, but yeah. come on, there's very little of that coming through. Yeah, like if you're just a person to start watching, there's like the fact that he the Jorah is a disgraced Mormon. Like that's not. That's that's not coming. It's across. all like what five seasons ago, six right. seasons ago. Right. At this but point. I guess that's it's also fair. It's like you know Jamie being an attempted child murderer is not coming right. through in his character right now either. Yeah, um, they've both changed as people. But I thought this thought, also thought it was weird that there was no mention of Sam. Like, because right. I thought the whole yeah. idea, like I'm I'm now honestly left wondering why Sam went to the Citadel since we just saw him left and his main accomplishment is. Finding out how many shits, uh, you know, Septon Maribold took, uh-huh. and uh, Steps cutting, or shits, I cut, can't cut, cutting Gilly off as she was dropping the biggest truth bomb on the series to date, and curing Jorah of Grayscale, which has had no narrative payoff so far. Not yet. I thought it would that, like you know, that he'd be like, "Well, you have a you know a acolyte named Sam to thank," and J- John. Can- I-, I don't know. Like, there's there's connections to be made here, and they're not making them. Maybe the prophecy like- is about a Jorah high. A Jorah. <laughs> Are we sure that that's not just like a mistranslation? Yeah, the unguit is like ninety percent milk of the poppy, so he <laughs> he's a high for yeah. for sure. I I you know I'm just saying like uh, with all the fan servers they got going on, there was a lot of fan servers left on the table. Yeah. No, that's true. Uh, I would have expected something about the sword. 
Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing that Jorah provides, I guess, assuming he comes back to Dragonstone alive, uh, maybe some military advice? I don't know. This this guy's not really a military strategist, though. Yeah. But nobody on their team is. That's the problem. Yeah. Right? Like, Tyrion really isn't. He's more well, of a diplomat. I mean, Jorah, Jorah I thought he was going to become, like, Sir, the Sir Barristan's, uh, you know, the Lord Commander of the Queen's Guard. Right. I thought that's the natural thing for him to take, because he's got... You know, Danny's not gonna marry him and give, give you know give give him what he wants the, mm-hmm. the the queen's booty. So it seems like a logical thing is to like take a vow where you're not gonna have it, and, and then you can just serve her chastely from afar. Um, it's so Stupid weird. Stupid grayscale. Yeah. Um. I I I I don't I don't know. Um. The other thing we're kind of uh, glossing over here is John. This is this this is the sec. This is the third time. We've seen the dragons take an instant liking to someone. Mm-hmm. Danny was the first one. Uh, Tyrion, when he went into the the free Viserion and uh, the uh, and uh, Rhaegal, and now John. Yeah, um, we know that John is uh, at least half Targaryen uh, because of what the show has has showed us. Um, there is, I mean, the, I think a question can be raised in the minds of viewers is. Is that is is this something special, and is this something? Is, there's, is there going to be something made of this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know. I just want to know what. I mean, it seems like you got three dragons. You got three people in affinity, affinity for dragons. Uh-huh. The dragon has three heads. Danny's wearing a three-headed dragon. Like, wow, this seems like a done deal. Yeah, I, I can't imagine for John's they going don't to try to get himself killed beyond the wall now. <laughs> well, yeah, I doubt that's going to happen. Um, no, well, he may be killed, but I I don't think he won't be back. And even if he does get killed, there's there's someone right in the, there's a I medic mean. in the party. Yeah, <laughs> there is. Uh, yeah, no, I I think there has to be some significance to those three uh, people. Yeah, but I think we're yet to see exactly what it is. Yep. All right, we go over to Bran at Winterfell. He sends the ravens north over the wall to spy. Apparently, he sits in the freezing cold for. 24 hours while controlling these things. Maester, uh... He's lost his connection to humanity, which includes his connection to needing to feel warm. I guess, and and sleeping and eating. Um, Maester Wilkins conveniently there just as he breaks out, so Maester Wilkins freezing his butt off, too, for a full day. Uh Uh, He sees the White Walkers, and then he tells the Maester to send ravens, and he's like, uh, we have no ravens left. You sent them all north. (laughs) (laughs) You warged them all. (laughs) Right. Uh, did you see what I was talking about with the rotating crow's eyes? Yeah, I did. So it did looks you, like he's swapping back and forth between. So, so, them. You, so is that to because there's a couple theories people wrote in. Uh, my theory was that that's you're supposed to be impressed by how he's in tandem, like rotating, connecting all these different crows. And the second is that like some people thought that like uh, he's hiding from the Night's King. Like this is uh, this is a decoy strategy. That might explain better why there are so many. Yeah, because the Night King looks at the flock and it like explodes the flock. Right. So, you know, Bran is trying to avoid a situation where the Night King can like psychically confront him. Mm-hmm. So by swapping bird, 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 the Night King can't quite lock in on him. Yeah. Um, that's pretty good theory too. And um, as, as, as much sense as anything else makes. I'm sure he could have worked into really anything anywhere, right? I mean, yeah. I don't think he has to be like near a thing to war into it. We don't know. Yeah. 
We really I guess don't, we don't know that for sure. We have a shocking lack of information about how any of this magic works. Yeah. Seven seasons in. I did think it was smart of him, though, to take the flying creatures because that way I mean, the Night's sure. King can't repeat last time I mean, and grab them. Because that's the thing. If you can warp from any arbitrary distance, um, you know, Bran could snag uh, three dragons yeah. and see what the Night King thinks about that. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Try Good. Try to disperse these guys when you look at them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so that's that's a hop, skip, and a jump away from there. I, yeah, it it really does bother me that this stuff is so ill defined. Yeah, I guess. Hmm. I don't know. I, I guess it'll bother me if they do something like super important with it that stretches my my credibility, right? Um, or stretches the show's credibility rather, right? Uh, but as it sits now, I'm still okay with everything they've yeah, done. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. I, I guess. They they they've consistent th- consistently shown that Bran has to be in proximity or touching something, be able to see something to be able to take it, and that's consistent with all the warging we've seen in the show. Mm-hmm. So, if they go and start doing like remote action at a distance, they're going to have to explain that, or they're going to have to show somehow Bran learning that technique or powering up somehow, or I don't know, Dragon Ball Z style, grunting <laughs> and grimacing for five minutes as a vortex yeah. of energy slowly. Or at the very least, lights like, him, turns his hair blonde, and levitates it. Using it in a way that isn't completely pivotal to the plot at first, okay. So that we can get used to it, and then okay. know that that's an ability. And then, you know, if he were to just like warg into Cersei or something and throw right. her off of the Red Keep, right? Th- that'd be fucking stupid. But right. you know, if he were able awesome, to, <laughs> well, I, not that I wouldn't like to see it, but uh-huh. uh, I, I don't know. I think there are ways that you can kind of. Not necessarily, like, explain or show him Rocky-style montaging his way into uh-huh. it um, and still make it not completely unbelievable. That's what he does. He's going to warg into Cersei. She's going to go to Jamie with wide eyes, tell him I faked every orgasm. This is your fault. And then throw herself off to toss Arthur Red Keep. Just for Boom. fun. That's just Boom. Brand's yeah, Tuesday that's, morning. That, that's, yeah, that's just what he does for breakfast. <laughs> <Yep>. uh, <laughs> he dines on the misery of Lannisters now. <laughs> Uh, all right. Yeah, maybe we should move on to. Sam. Oh, but I will say that, like, I actually kind of think the fact that he remote controlled these crows half a continent away across the wall, yeah. and they also, I, they, we for the very first time we got a bit of the gauge of the distance the White Walkers are from Eastwatch. It was a not inconsiderable distance. Yeah, like there was a there's a montage of him getting to Eastwatch, going over Eastwatch, and going over varied terrain, and lots of cuts until we got to the Army of the Dead. Mm-hmm. Still Which seems off. like. Which also seems like they're rolling hella deep. So I'm really interested in seeing how John picks off one of these guys and comes takes them with him. Right. So <laughs> sneaks up and grabs one who's taking a shit yeah. in the woods. <laughs> yeah. Uh there were also some really nice angles of Winterfell that you don't see a lot mm-hmm. in this scene. I actually appreciated those. Uh then we move on to Sam who's filing scrolls. I don't know, he's gathering scrolls from a, a very sensitive location. He overhears the Maesters talking about a message from Brand about the White Walkers. And he tries to convince him to do something about it, um, which he says basically set the maesters reading all the scrolls to find out how to defeat them and get the armies moving north. But they just make fun of him and say, yeah, 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 we'll consider it. Yeah. And when Sam leaves, the maester says he hasn't told Sam about his father and brother yet. Good thing they weren't discussing that, Raven. Yeah, no. <laughs> said, news of some Charlie that was burnt to a... Cr- oh, Sam, you might want to go check the latrines. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, like, first of all... I don't. I wonder what Sam would think. 
Like Sam seems like his maybe him and his brother him. are would would be okay if it wasn't for his dad being a dick. But like, be. would he really care about his dad getting burnt to a crisp, being a pig-headed idiot? I doubt it. I don't think so either. Yeah. I, mean, I know a bit about estranged parents and, <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, Mine was not nearly the the dick that Randall was. Right, right. So I, 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 I don't know. I don't know what they would, uh, what he would think about that. It seems, yeah. it seems unlikely that he'd have a big emotional reaction to it, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, I also thought, I wonder... Because as I said, it's phenomenally stupid the idea that they can they can parade this white in front of Cersei and sh- her, her be like, "Oh my God, I'm suddenly taking you seriously and I'm on your side now." Mm-hmm. Sam outlies a case where, what if, and, and and the fact that he's leaving, where do you think he's going? I'm asking a lot of I'm, these are a lot of disjointed questions because I'm piecing this question. together. Where is Sam going? Because I think there's there's like like the logical thing to do would be bring the white to Old Town, okay. Show the maesters here is a dead man walking. Uh-huh. This is what we are seeing, and you know you could even have I don't know you could even have Brand do a crow warging demonstration or something like mm-hmm. Sam. Lay, I don't think for nothing Sam lays out the very real fact that the Maesters are this respected organization by everyone. The commoners respect their education and learning. The the lords respect the the fact that they can communicate swiftly and their their allegiances to the realm and not to individual lordships. Like they're they they are respected. They're respected everywhere. So if if you could get them on the same message that this is a real thing. That is a, a non ridiculous way for this end game to go forward. In which okay. case, that's super frustrating because it feels like if they shifted these thing, events around a couple times, like John could be making, John or Tyrion could make a, dis- uh, 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 a decision that's out of wisdom rather than seemingly just a last ditch Hail Mary, like, fuck it, let's try it. We haven't tried showing Cersei a dead man. So, <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I don't, I just don't think it would matter to Cersei. That, I know. That's my my final thing. My final thought on the matter is like, Cersei doesn't care. No, Cersei knows that when it comes down to it, her enemies are going to be stuck between her and right. the White Walkers, right. and they have to fight regardless. Right. right. So wait for them to fight. Wait for them to be killed, and then she'll deal with the threats. Yeah, and and from you a know, much stronger position. And again, most of Danny's inner council knows this. Like yeah. Tyrion and Varys should know all this. So that's what I'm saying. That they pivoted to the Maesters, they'd have something because if you appealed directly to the Lords and said, right. Regardless of what Cersei's saying, this is the thing that needs to be done. I kind of think that has at least a prayer of working. Mm-hmm. We're just appealing to Cersei's better nature. Right. The fact that Tyrion is suggesting it is like I got a lot of feedback saying like, well, maybe this is proof that Tyrion is the is going to betray Danny because this is such obviously bad counsel. It's going to get <laughs> it's going to get John killed. That I, uh-huh. I you know that's not good when your viewers are taking that message away. Right. I don't think. Unless they actually intend Tyrion to be a, a, a betrayer. Well, he's certainly in this next scene trying to justify Danny's actions to Varys, um, right. and probably more importantly himself. Um, Varys says he told himself the same things that Tyrion's saying when he watched the Mad King's victims get burned. Right. Uh, and Tyrion needs to make her listen somehow. Oh, also, there's a message from Winterfell for John. And I really love this scene, uh, say, yeah. the, the way that they present this message. Uh-huh. It's got this sealed scroll. Oh, well, this is for the I king of the north. Yeah, of course I wouldn't open it. But So what's it say? Nothing good. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
you know, that's the thing. Like, why is it Tyrion's job to make her listen? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it's weird that Varys is kind of washing his hands here. He's very hands off, especially yeah. since he promised Danny that if he had a problem with her management, that he would take it right to her. Right. So, like, I that's another curious hmm. moment that they like. You know, we universally praise that, like, you know, real talk they had a couple episodes, and here now it's like Tyrion is like Varys is like, yeah, you 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 done fucked up, kid. Mm-hmm. What's going on? What's going on to Dan? What's going on with the Mad Queen you got growing here? Like it's your problem too, man. Yeah, it makes me question his motivations. Honestly, where's your fucking intelligence? Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't be in this situation if you told me to Euron and my sister. Address, you know, it's like it, I, I don't. It, it's it's weird because like all these yeah. obviously smart characters are having what I would consider dumb conversations. But a lot of people are you know questioning various motives. Is he actually working for Danny? Is he giving information to? The Lannisters somehow. Um, but I, I think thing. it's scenes like this and and this sort of inconsistency that you know lends some credence to those ideas. I think you're right, and maybe that's the whole thing. Though the the reason that he's being weirdly written is to keep us kind of on that will will he won't he betray Danny kind of edge. Maybe. But if you take him at his word, uh, you know Danny's still the obvious choice for the best you know new management for the realm. And right. if you don't take him at his word, then what the hell is his game? Yeah. He overthrew right. this this uh, previous administration that he was as, as as high as he could ever get. Like, does Varys mm-hmm. have uh, desires for the Iron Throne himself, the 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 foreign born eunuch? He says he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, even if he did, he's got like I I don't I just it, nothing nothing really makes sense other than him being in service to the realm. And there's mm-hmm. the show has done nothing to show that a smart person like Varys would start suddenly doubting the Queen over Cersei. Yeah. It'd be one thing if somehow Gendry had won, you know, from risen from the streets of steel to the Red Keep, and he's like, "Oh, well, you know, now we got this person. Maybe I'll back this other guy." But it's still Cersei fucking Lannister. Yeah. All right, we move on to Danny's team talking strategy and deciding on a plan to prove to Cersei once and for all that the White Walkers exist by going north, capturing one, and presenting it to her in King's Landing. Um. And yeah, I, I th- love this how, is ridiculous. I love how they gloss over, like, like the hard part is actually getting a a a a, a meeting with Cersei. I mean, I, I mean, there were two very very hard parts to this. Yes, going up north and and getting the uh-huh. loan, like you said, the the white that's taking a shit. And there are only two parts to this plan, so they're <laughs> yeah. both very, very hard. Yeah, like even the underpants gnomes in South Park had two points. <laughs> like, this is just all literally question mark, question mark, question mark. Yeah. Result, question mark. Like, it's what What the hell? What the hell? Yeah. yeah no, I, um... I've got in my notes, this is such bullshit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I don't know. And again, that's another thing. It's like, here's a fair question that was propounded to me dozens of times in the feedback. How the hell does Tyrion know Jamie's alive? From Tyrion's perspective, he saw a gout of flame aimed at his brother, yep. Braun tackle him into the water, and neither of them surface. Yeah. Uh, he probably doesn't know that for sure. But he just confidently he, asserts yeah. that, oh, and I need to get in contact right, with Jamie. Jamie will listen to me, yeah. Uh, like, that's something that's, like, a really low-key... Like, I didn't even notice that until second mm-hmm. viewing. It's like, how the hell does he even know that his brother's alive? If he does know his brother's alive, did didn't he did he withhold information from Danny? Like, hey, there's my brother, commander of the Lannister army, sneaking off with the <laughs> Sellsword, who's his bodyguard. Uh-huh. Like, might want to round them up, uh, Your Grace. I, 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 yeah. 
Well, it's it's tough to know how much time has taken place between that battle and this moment. Yeah. Um, it, potentially, Varys is doing his job and has intel and knows that that he's alive. Right. But we're not we're not given any indication that that's the case. Right. So. Uh, and uh, I, I did like the whole "I don't need your permission with respect to your grace." I'm a king, and I trusted you to come down here, and now it's your turn to trust me. Mm-hmm. Uh, that that stuff is pretty good. It's just the that's the thing. Like as good as these episodes are, the central framing device of the season, which is trying to go north to get this white, is just really. <laughs> really dumb, like, n- not even from a, like, uh, meta level, like, oh, there's just no way they can get a White Walker. This is stupid. But just the end result to convince Cersei, mm-hmm. that is also dumb. And no one is – I mean, they're paying lip service to it. It's like they're 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 raising all the same objections. But, like, I feel like there's enough objections in the room that, like, the result would be they have to sit down and make another plan, not just be like, yeah. well, this is the shittiest plan we thought of in 30 seconds. Let's execute. Mm-hmm. Go team. It's like literally, like the way they frame it, like Tyrion's like musing, like, what if, what if we do, like, okay, well, what if? Yeah, no, this, this is exactly, I mean, this is Ocean's 11, 12, 13. This is every heist movie you've ever seen where they come up with a plan that couldn't possibly work. And then everybody steps forward to say, I have a piece of the puzzle. Yes. Oh, I have a piece of the puzzle too. And yet somehow there are like five pieces of the puzzle missing and they just ignore that and continue with the plan here. That's the thing. Like George Clooney had a fully rendered wire frame, frame diagram right. of the Bellagio's va- bank vault. Uh-huh. If Tyrion had that, fine. Okay, let's go. Yeah. The Night King uses a pressure-mounted sin in his bedroom chamber where he keeps his prized white. And, you know, <laughs> it's like, no, there's none of that. There's none of that. No, there's not. Yeah. Um, just a hunch. Uh, so I, I like this. I, I'm going to credit Red Lancer from the forums because I was reading through and he said that the white they bring back might actually be Bingen. Oh. Which I think is interesting, but I don't know if it's all that convincing because Bingen still kind of looks and acts like a human, That's right? what I'm saying. Like, he's not the white that would inspire fear into the lords. I wouldn't think so, Like, no. the snarling, mindless beast. And the other thing is, like, um, can John not mention the fact that the white that he saw, like, played possum for an extended period of time mm. and reacted it? Like, what happened? Like, it seems like if 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 this, this even works, it's gonna be works, a Toy Story situation. It's gonna be like I saw on Reddit. It's like a, it's a Michigan J Frog situation where John's gonna have this white that's snarling and out for blood, and he shows him to Cersei, and it just collapses on the floor yeah. dead. Yeah. Then he gets up, put on, as soon as everybody leaves the the red keep, and it's just him and John. He puts on the hot the top pad. Hello, my baby. Hello, right. my honey. And it's like why that's that's a perfectly logical thing to ask. The yeah. Night King controls these guys. He can make them play dead. He's done it before. John, you saw this. What the fuck? Yeah. No, I, I will go out on a limb here and say they haven't really thought about this plan very much. <laughs> Is this something for us to do? It's something fun, getting the gang yeah. all back together. Got to do something. Yeah. Let's make everybody feel like they're doing something. Yeah. Uh, all right. The Lords of the North are pissed about John taking so long to get back, and they want Sansa to lead him. Sansa assures that he'll return, um, and things will be awesome once again. Arya watches a weird expression uh, on uh, watches with a weird expression on her face, which I couldn't quite read. Uh, afterward, Arya insinuates that Sansa's only concerned with being a fancy ruling lady, and Sansa says she's not cutting the heads off of people because she doesn't think it's a good leadership philosophy. Uh, a lot going on in this scene. No, I to me, I and I, I've, I've got a different opinion on this, Jim. I've come mm. around to thinking that maybe we are actually seeing a one-sided ploy. 
that this is Ari and Sansa, in fact, working together to out Littlefinger's true loyalties. Okay. So they can expose him in front of the lords as the betrayer. Because anything else makes Sansa or Arya look really stupid and reactionary. Mm-hmm. Like they are little, girl, little girls who haven't been through five years of hell and are ready to turn on each other at a moment's notice over childhood grievances about you liking pretty things. Mm-hmm. Like, what's Sansa supposed to do? Fucking sleep in the ruined tower because this is mom and dad's room? She's the lady of Winterfell. This is where she belongs. Jesus yeah. Christ, Arya. Well, I'm trying to figure out if, like, this whole beheading thing is Arya's true philosophy on the matter or if she's testing Sansa. Yeah. To see what kind of leader she's going to be. I, I really don't know. Yeah. It's and the other thing is, like, this also the, the this also is of a piece, like, when, you know, uh, everybody's like, what is Littlefinger's deal? And Sansa's like, I know what Littlefinger wants. Like, it, it, it would it'd be a pretty brilliant way to get us all, like, thinking that this is just going to be a betrayal by Arya slash Sansa, and then it turns out it's just going to be their way of trapping Littlefinger mm-hmm. into some kind of hard candy situation, which I fully support. Um but as it and it it's it's it just it almost this is one thing where I'm giving double double D's a benefit of the doubt like it's 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 dumb, but it also might be that intentionally. Mm-hmm. Now there's a there's a there's a there's a fine line to stra- straddle there, right? Because you can get the situation where the dumb plan makes everyone look like look Littlefinger looks stupid for getting caught in it. Ari and Sansa look stupid for be, be, you know like there, there's a there's a thin line between you know playing into audiences' expectations of like these characters' worst moments like oh well, this is Arya and them being stupid kids again and then they're going to do something brilliant but they got to be able to pull that off without making Littlefinger look stupid mm-hmm. because that's the thing you cannot suddenly make Littlefinger be dumb so that they can get the best of them yeah I I mean you have to play off somebody else somebody's other weaknesses right? right it can't be their stupidity because none of these characters are stupid right it has to be like for ned stark it was honor right and um, i think it's, it I think loyalty it's fair to say that sansa used to be stupid sure yeah like she's, she said she's like, grown a lot over she's these saying she said years. herself like i was just a stupid girl who's always wrong but you've you've that you've had many seasons of development past that so right. like i i no longer think you're dumb sansa don't prove me wrong yeah and you are very familiar with Littlefinger's machinations so yes yeah yeah they they need to play off something else Littlefinger's own hubris i think might right. also be a possibility yeah. You know, he doesn't have to be dumb to be fooled. He could be too I, full of himself. I actually was kind of, in the, my my subsequent watches, somewhat impressed with the idea that we thought Littlefinger was freaking out because there's something incriminating him. Mm-hmm. But what he what he actually found was something we know in the show is horribly incriminating from 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 a Sansa perspective. And and you think of Arya, um. The last time she saw Sansa before this, she was standing right on the stage next to Joffrey, smiling, and then Joran grabbed her and said, don't look, don't look, and her head, dad's head got cut off. So mm-hmm. she sees this, and she sees this message. You know, it's, it, I, and I, that's the thing, like, if, if I'm right about this plot, it's entirely possible that Arya doesn't know she's being played either, that this is something sure. that Sansa's little-fingering, and it's going to... And, and then... Then how is she going to convince Arya that she's actually? I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, Littlefinger is definitely playing it like it's something he's doing for Sansa, right? Hiding this message that she right. sent so that no one will know. 
But it's it's that's another tricky thing is to show something like a machination from the audience perspective that looks like from my when I was watching this first time, like Littlefinger comes out of the room and Arya immediately steps out of the shadows and starts loudly jacking with this door. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, my first thought is like, well, realistically, wouldn't you wait a couple minutes to make sure Littlefinger didn't forget his keys? Uh-huh. Didn't like, oh, I left my wallet in my chamber. Like, go back. Like, you know, the fact that Arya is this master sneak assassin thief kind of person she's a li- also living lie detector mm-hmm. that was part of her faceless man training it was that it if, if this is just happening as it's as it's just 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 nakedly happening on the show where she's just falling for all these traps and tricks it just it just really seems dumb that's all mm-hmm. i want to say okay um let's go to davos and Tyrion at king's landing um Braun leads Jamie down to the catacombs where Tyrion meets with him and tells him they can't win the war and Danny wants something super important uh, that is not bending the knee. And we don't find out what it is in this scene, but of course we know it's an armistice. Um, yeah, I, I think when you know he's talking about the dragons and how Danny's going to win the war, uh, Jamie knows that. Jamie's mm-hmm. seen the devastation of the dragons, mm-hmm. and so it really hits home with him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think he's a little more open, you know, than someone who hasn't seen the dragon devastation would be yeah. to this proposal. But I, I wish this scene had been longer. I wish this scene had had a little more room to breathe Agreed. and these two brothers This could... is a big moment. Yeah, it, it should be. It should be a huge moment. And with what they're given, I think these two actors do a great job. Mm-hmm. But I just wish they were given a little bit more yeah. to work with. No, Nikolai, like his you, – when you see the tension literally leave his body after Tyrion makes the – well, that training sword will take you a while to cut me in half. Uh-huh. Like that – like he is carrying a lot of weight uh, of the script just by this performance. This, like yeah. this is – like Jamie wants to fall back into this relationship with his brother. Where mm-hmm. he's the naughty, he's the naughty little boy, and Jamie's the slightly more responsible older brother that looks after him and makes sure he's supplied with drinks and whores, and that's all a good time. And Jamie, Jamie misses that, and like yeah. that is all completely unsaid except for his performance and, and our knowledge of the characters. Sure. Also, by the way, we we glossed over the the um, arrival of uh, uh, Davos and, and Tyrion and King's Landing. A lot of people are like, "Oh, master smuggler just rides a canoe up to the beach of King's." I mean. No, the master smuggler is the fact that he knows how to bribe the guards and he mm-hmm. knows how to have the crab meat, the subterfuge. Like, that's... Yeah. He was prepared. Yeah, it's it's the whole package. It's not just where you land. It's not just all that. And also, like, there's a lot of these snide remarks about the Double Ds not, oh, they don't remember anything in the previous seasons. How, how can you watch this season and think that? Uh-huh. Like, like Tyrion's like, oh, the last time I was at King's Landing, I killed my father. And, and Davos immediately shots back, last time I was here, you burnt my son with wildfire. Uh-huh. Like, of course they got this institutional memory of their show. Yeah. So, I I don't know. Like, to me, it seems obvious that the real problem is they are... They are trying to tell a story that they don't themselves fully understand. And they're strapped for time. To and they're strapped that. for time. Yeah. Uh, the other thing I want to talk about that is that knowing that Tyrion's chief strategy was burning men alive when it was the survival of his side, it is a little bit hypocritical to show him so disgusted with Danny burning people alive in yeah. the same situation. Yeah, they're both armies. They're both tr- groups of troops, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I... I don't know why when he's protecting King's Landing, it's somehow noble. Yeah. And when Danny's doing it, it's somehow not. I wish there was a conversation with him with Varys. It's like, look, 
you don't have to tell me, Varys. I know what it's like to burn thousands of men alive because, he, like, and, and I had my I had my fill of it. Like, mm-hmm. they, 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 these aren't fatal flaws; they could be easily fixed. Um, but then again, every single time you say that, that adds thirty seconds of runtime, and what are you going to do? <laughs> uh, so, continuing their uh, little scheme here, Davos goes to Flea Bottom in search of Gendry. When he finds him, he asks him to come to Dragonstone, and Gendry is basically already in the boat. Yep. Uh, on the way out, he grabs his warhammer. Uh, when they reach the escape boat, some gold cloaks find him. Davos smoothly bribes them, and and they leave. Um, and it works until Tyrion shows up. Uh, they recognize him, and they're going to take him captive. But Gendry blasts him in the head with a warhammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have been talking about Gendry on and off for the last. I don't know, six seasons? Mostly as a joke. Five seasons? I, I believe two, three se- episodes ago, I said just Gid- Gidnery's never coming back. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Which, of course, I did. Uh, of course. And, of course, long, he shows up two episodes later. I have later. a long track record of saying, oh, the, cold hands, Bingen, forget, get the fuck over it. And then two episodes right. later, the dude shows up. So. Yeah, yeah. So what is the purpose, I guess, of bringing Gendry back at this point? Is it to... Sort of in a weird way, loop this series back on itself with the I, Ned. I'm telling Robert you. relationship. Well, here's a curveball. Mm-hmm. This whole scene is about your dad and my dad are bros. It's a lie. John's dad isn't Ned Stark. Well, Gendry's dad caved from, in from a John's certain point of John's view. dad's chest at the Trident. From a certain point of view. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to yeah. Obi-Wan you here. Yeah, but. no, but I'm saying, like, yeah, like, if, if uh, you know, uh, Rhaegar's fo- Force Ghost was in the back, he'd look like, you know, the painting of the Scream. Like, <laughs> right. no, no, we were not bros. Um, I, I, I felt like that, and they, maybe that's... Maybe that's something the show knows as well, and it's going to show that, like, you know... Because there's, there's still some betrayals and backstabbings and tragedy happening. Mm-hmm. Maybe, like, uh, Gendry, he's all like, your grace this and your grace that. But maybe Gendry will start hearing the the call of the throne of people, the right people flattering him. I mean, there's not a lot of Could time be. left for that kind of stuff, but... Yeah. Um, it also gave me pause because I've I've been thinking... You know, I used a show to kind of, like, set my book expectations as well. And then, like, you know... Gendry had kind of gone off my radar, kind of like Euron, and I'm like, well, maybe Gendry is actually going to be a lot more important to the plot. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if you'd look at the first couple seasons, the first couple books of Game of Thrones, you'd think, well, Gendry's going to be super important, and then, like, his importance trails off and, and, and sort of both, but I don't, I don't know, he's he's hanging around, and now he's he's right there with John with his Warhammer north of the yeah. wall. I didn't see that coming. No, no, that was um, fairly unexpected, and I think most of this... Uh, it, it certainly works as fan service. I mean, I think everybody was happy to see Davos essentially wink to the camera, yes, and say, "Hey, I thought you'd still be rowing." Nobody, it, it was great. Nobody, I loved it. nobody didn't like seeing Bobby B's son pick up a giant ass warhammer and bash two glo- gold cloaks in the face. That was all, all good stuff. Yep, for sure. Um, but it makes me question, like, what is Gendry's larger role? And, and I just don't have a great answer for it yet. Yeah, me either. Because it um, seems like he does he isn't special at all. He's not trained as a warrior. He's just I mean, there's there's symbolically it's interesting, but yeah, plot wise, how does it work out? Don't know. Yeah. This is probably the best episode in or the best scene in this episode for me. Um I really like watching Davos do his thing. Yeah, Davos is very good. He's super smooth and, and the the actor Liam Cunningham, I think his name uh-huh. is, just he's great at this yeah. character. Like he's yeah. 
he's kind of like becoming the Tyrion of the second half of the the the, the series. Hmm. Like as much okay. as I like Tyrion going into the first, like Tyrion's kind of taking a back seat, and Davos is the guy that stepped up and. He's the people's yeah. Tyrion. And he's making the things happen, right? He's yeah. the one uniting the North, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> John he, rolls he, in and says, follow me, and they say no, and Davos says, here's why you should follow this right. guy. Yeah, and what do I know? I've only lived to a ripe old age, unlike you shits. Uh, <laughs> right. I also like the fact that they keep emphasizing how he is not combat capable and a liability. Yeah. Almost exactly the same way that they did with Sam in the early goings, and I'm wondering yep. if... Like, I'm just counting down to, like, Chekhov's Davos badassery. Oh, he's yeah. going to have to, like, dig deep and do something because else, where is all this going? Like, they keep, mm. keep hammering at home that, like, I'm shit in a fight. I can't help you. I'm shit in a fight. I can't help you. <laughs> like, either he's just going to die because he's shit in a yeah, fight he or might. he's going to get something done. He might. Uh, and his line about how you'd better hurry to your favorite establishment or you put a hole in that chain mail. That was one of the highlights of the scene for me. Um, move on to Jamie going to see Cersei. He tells her, hey, I met with Tyrion, who said that an army of dead men are marching on the Seven Kingdoms and Danny wants an armistice. Uh, Cersei asks if he's going to punish Bronn for setting up the meeting that she knew all about and then tells Jamie that a meeting with Danny could be in their best interest. And, oh, by the way, she reveals she's also pregnant with what she's going to say is his baby. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it is. It probably is, um, given what we've seen on screen, but... I'm not even sure she's 100 percent, 100% sure that she is pregnant. I was gonna say she's either 100 <laughs> she, percent pregnant or she's not, right? But, or zero yeah, yeah. percent. No, yeah. I, I feel you. And there's a lot, a lot of people call. There's a lot of feedback about this. Um, for people that don't like listening to feedback, there's there's essentially three camps. Um, one, she's pregnant, and mm-hmm. what does that mean to the series? Two, uh, she is uh, deceiving deceiving uh jamie for some to manipulate him mm-hmm. uh maybe there's there's three points three this puts a clock like the the, uh, the jet packing the time passage like when you got a woman pregnant i don't know how it works in westeros but here it's like you know you got three trimesters and boom it's here and uh-huh. there's like gradually changing to the body this is the fabled and, long pregnancy yeah so uh, <laughs> it's gonna last generation generations. right yeah. they build a wall in cersei's uterus to keep it from coming out <laughs> uh I, yeah i mean they they got to be careful here because yeah. there's a clock now. Like, they can't just be zipping back and forth over Westeros and that this particular passage of time not be reflected in Cersei's character. Right. So it's kind of a daring, daring, uh, 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 a, a daring move. And that might even be part of the plot, you know? If she doesn't right. start showing and we're you know six months down the road jamie's gonna be like what the hell right although what's going on here they, they do you know they had a similar clock with gilly's baby mm-hmm. and like sam himself says that brand survived for multiple years beyond the wall when he brought gilly with a newborn and now although i did notice that it seems like uh baby sam's a little bit older now mm-hmm. like maybe he's two-ish okay i don't know maybe maybe it's tough to say yeah, I, it's tough to say i don't know like i said maybe it'll be the mythical long pregnancy yeah uh, and then Ice she, spiders everywhere. <laughs> at the end, she tells Jamie, never betray me again, which is pretty ominous. And it almost makes me wonder if Cersei might not kill Jamie. Like, we've been talking about, like, will will Jamie be the, the person to kill Cersei, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and there's been so much focus on that. Wouldn't it be an odd twist of fate if she were to kill him? Someone who's remained loyal to her from the very beginning. 
right. uh, all the way to the end, and yet she's forced to kill him right. for some reason. Um, yeah. Another thing to qu- would, would be, would it be dramatically satisfying if um, this baby kills her? Huh. I mean, she mentions that she's 40 years, like, because she said that for 40 years I listened to father. They've talked about the fact that her and, and Jamie are all both slightly over childbearing age. Is it possible? Like, there's a lot of con- the older you wait to have children. There's more complications. This isn't a modern society. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, Kyburn said, like, you know, do you want me to give you something? Because they do have an abortif- effective abortificant in the in Westeros called Moon Tea. Um, I wonder if would that be satisfying if she dies in child? Like to me, no, it wouldn't be satisfying. Yeah, I want her to die screaming like she wished on Elena. The other question is, does this fuck up Maggie's prophecy? Because she said she's prophesied to have three children. Now that was three children with the king, so I guess oh, they, they got all kinds okay. of wiggle room in this prophecy. Yeah, uh, and the fact that you know uh, we also. Well, but the thing is, is they wasn't with the king. They said the king will have this, and you'll have this many. Oh, right. And you already had a still like a, a a child that died young, so the the prophecies kind of already busted. Like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you had technically had five children, but we're only gonna count three because they had gold hair. I, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, but it's the kind of like quasi thought out. I mean, it, this just came out of nowhere. It did. Like this is the thing I most instantly hated about the episode. Well, it's it's why it makes me think she's using this as a control mechanism, right? As opposed to actually being pregnant. But why? Because she's the it fucking, totally comes out she's of the unquestioned queen of Westeros. Like if she wants to manipulate Jamie, like I don't know why she thinks she needs to do this to manipulate Jamie or give him yeah. maybe to give him something to fight for because she senses that he's about ready to give up because of dragons. Well, now you got a kid. Yeah, I mean, we can. We can our our it. dynasty is back on the table, right? Yeah, that, that's very much how I viewed it. Okay, we'll see what Jamie thinks. Uh, so Davos tells Gendry not to reveal his true identity to John, which he immediately does upon meeting him. Uh, in just a couple of insults traded, Gendry and John become instant besties. Gendry asks John to take him to Eastwatch, and Davos is annoyed at everyone. Yep. So let's talk about um, Tyrion taking a couple of jabs, I guess, at Jorah and then giving him this coin yeah. um, that the slaver paid him. Right. I, I thought that was a nice moment between the two of them. Yeah. You know, it's like, it, it's sort of like, oh, you remember this, you asshole, when you you captured, kidnapped me and right. got us both sold into slavery. And, right. Uh, hey, we got through it. Good times. And, you know, we're, we're better for it, and I hope you come back. Right. This is a nice moment. Uh, uh, then Jorah kisses Danny's hand, and then... Yeah. Jorah has some... What, what's Jorah thinking about John? Because the thing is, I I can't take a Jorah Danny relationship seriously at this point. I don't, I, I, I don't think he takes it seriously, but it's got to be painful to watch yeah. your queen, your young queen, fall in love with this handsome young king. For sure. And you're I, just a disgraced Mormon from Bear Island. Just because he knows it's not actually going to happen doesn't mean he doesn't still want it to happen um, between him and Danny. So, yeah, he's probably fairly uncomfortable about the whole thing. Right. Um, and then John packs up all the dragon glass and heads off to East watching a boat. He should talk to Jamie about advice for ignoring sounds coming from the king and queen's bedroom chambers while yeah. you're standing guard in the king slash queen's guard. Right. <laughs> They could probably have a long conversation about the, that, all that. Uh, then we move on to Gilly reading a book while Sam studies. She's telling him all these facts from a book, uh, from the book, and comes across a record of Rhaegar's annulment. Ragger. Ragger. Hagar's annulment. 
I love uh, in the I love in, in, in the the subtitles for it. It said, it said Prince in quotation marks Ragger. Just so you know, in case you you miss the the irony of her mispronouncing Ragar. I did miss it. What are you talking about? Well, she pronounced the, the she's pronounced a Ragger like it's like to- horribly mispronounced and it's spelled in the subtitles as R A G G E R. But we're supposed to okay. understand that it's Prince Ragar, sure, yeah. Targaryen getting an annulment from his first wife Alar- uh, Elia, uh-huh. and presumably marrying uh, Lyanna Stark in mm-hmm. secret in Dorne. Yeah, so. One of the one of the big questions in Game of Thrones uh, history is did you know how did that all work? Like, is John still technically a bastard because it wasn't a proper marriage? And one of the one of the theories was that he you know uh, either got a second marriage consecrated by a septon or whatever, or, or and it seems like that's what he did. Yeah, and it was also a question of was was uh, Eliana is that her name? El- Elia. El- Elia. The princess. Jesus, I can never remember their names. It's it's tough because because they're not actual characters. If I don't right. see their face, it's tough. Yeah. Um, uh, there was also the question of whether Elia did it willingly, right? Like, Doesn't seem whether like she it. loved Rhaegar. Like like the way Sam describes the annulment is is when a, a lord sets aside his lady. Like it mm-hmm. does feel like a jilting, which is a bit more brutal than than I've always pictured I, it. I'm thinking of the Stark, the the Stark counterpart. Okay, Lyanna. This. Okay, Lyanna. Yes. Okay. Like, was that willing? Was she kidnapped? Was she raped? Like, none of that seems to be true based on this story. Yeah. It seems like they got married. Yeah. Um, and she was probably on board with that. Right. No. I Yeah. I, I, I'd, I'd settled in my mind that, like, there's no way that she... Yeah. Like, but there was nothing to tell us that, right? Like, all the characters assumed that right. she, she was drug off screaming right. by Rhaegar, but it doesn't appear to be that way. Right. Um, so Sam, instead of recognizing the importance of what she's saying, he gets testy and he shuts down the whole conversation. He decides he's had enough. He gathers as many of the restricted texts as he can carry in a little satchel, uh, takes Gilly and Lil Sam and rides off in a horse-drawn wagon. Mm-hmm. One last longing look at the library. Yeah, uh, so is he just grabbing books at random? Does he know no, what books he wants to read on the way? Does got a he... lot of got a lot of feedback. I'm, I think that they were deliberately showing that he was selective in what he's stealing because these are the things that he thinks are probably the most likely to be fruitful. But then he takes that long look up at the the fullness of the library. All right, which to me is saying, what if I missed something? See, to me, and yet he still decides to leave. To me, it's saying my dream was to become a maester, and I'm giving this up in service for something, and I'm taking one last longing look at all these fucking books. Um, he but, clearly hasn't found what he's looking for yet, so how could he know that it isn't out there in one of the books episodes, he doesn't take? Man, uh, no, I mean, right, I, this seriously, is a, this is a problem. It, it seems dangerous. He's leaving the that center he's, of knowledge. He's flouncing off because the the septons won't, or I'm sorry, the maesters won't take him seriously. Right. And he is permanently depriving himself from further research of this yeah. unprecedented collection of books. So it Right, it, and he clearly has no problem getting his hands on the books at night, right? Yeah. So continue with what you've been doing, which I is thought, searching the text at night. I thought him leaving the restricted area unlocked was a pretty cheeky move. Did he? Yeah, that's oh, fucking man. absolute savage. Just like some yeah. some slack jawed yokel's gonna wander into the restricted section tomorrow and now what's gonna happen? Mm-hmm. Or maybe 
maybe he intended to do that. Like, I'm going to leave it unlocked so all the other acolytes can get in here and, like, run rampant through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean... It's like a symbolic gesture. But but cinema- cinematically, they were saying that he was selectively, and we're going so so that later when he has the perfect tome that he needs, it's not going to seem like bullshit. That mm-hmm. he was selectively grabbing these particular texts um, from all over the library because he thinks... doesn't have time to read them all, but he thinks these are the ones that are most fruitful in a search. Yeah. Don't know how that works, but it's literally not even in my top five problems with this script. Sure. Uh, okay, Arya spies on Littlefinger as he gathers info and speaks to the lords of the various houses. Uh, the maester Walken gives Littlefinger a message from Lewin's records. When he leaves, Arya breaks into his room and finds the raven message from Sansa about Rob's death, uh, trying to convince oh, him to... about Ned's death. Or about Ned's to death. Rob. To Rob. Right, to try and convince him to surrender. Uh, as she sneaks off with that info, Littlefinger watches from the shadows with satisfaction. Again, Arya, living lie detector. Master thief and assassin. Uh, I don't think Littlefinger, like Littlefinger, might out gather information, but I don't think he's going to out skulker. Yeah. So that's that's my thesis for this being some kind of grand start conspiracy that the two girls are are, are perpetrating upon Littlefinger. Yeah. So given like the the movements of these two characters, Arya and John, uh, over the last few episodes. And how they conspicuously, you know, say, hey, you thought, what will John think when he sees you if he really likes seeing me? Um, it makes me wonder if they're actually going to be reunited at Winterfell. Because John's out traipsing around looking John's for walkers. John's not making it back. He's not coming back anytime this soon. This season. Like, right. it seems to me that the, the, the arc is going to end up north. Yeah. Now, it, it could, I guess... They both ultimately want to get to the same place, right? John uh. wants to present this white walker, or sorry, this white to Cersei Lannister in mm-hmm. King's Landing. Mm-hmm. Arya wants to go to King's Landing to kill Cersei Lannister. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think maybe the reunion could happen there, hmm. potentially, but I, I'm not sure how that would go down. Certainly, I don't think they'd have the time or the space to sort of hug it out. Yeah, the other thing I don't, I'm increasingly not understanding is why Danny just doesn't take like it. It it seems to me that Danny believes John now. Mm-hmm. So when you're talking about existential threats, Cersei Lannister is not an existential threat now. Like she's going to probably be behind King's Landing until you go and drag her out of there. Like this whole idea that like if Danny goes up north, Cersei's going to go running buck wild and take over all of the Seven Kingdoms again. That seems crazy, and it also just you know like they got a pretty good reason to put the dragons in a cage because if you take them against King's Landing and melt the whole city, then congratulations, you're a genocidal maniac. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't she take her dragons up north to re you know to at least lay eyes on the white walkers yeah also bran has established that they're all in one giant group like do they have ice scorpions or if they have just bows and arrows they're not going to do dick all to those dragons and you mm-hmm. i don't know like i just wonder that there seems like a bunch of artificial barriers to this like like as quickly as it's moving they're also dragging their feet somehow <laughs> with okay. the dragons the dragons are dragging their feet yeah, dragons are, you know, they open a lot of doors that the show right. can't, you know, right. can't close who's fast gonna, enough. Who's going to open the window? <laughs> Bran. Bran will. <laughs> and then he'll jump off it. Of. Yeah. Uh, so John arrives at Eastwatch and he tells Tormund the plan to snatch a white. Tormund thinks it's fucking stupid because it is. Yep. But there are some people who want to join them. 
Uh, he takes them to the cells where the Hound, Beric, Thoros are all being held. Gendry says not to trust him because they sold him to the Red Witch. John thinks it's smart to trust them because they're still breathing and they all go north of the wall together. Mm-hmm. Uh, John's doomed if breathing is the only prerequisite of being trustworthy because Cersei's breathing. Well, I mean, he's not <laughs> wrong. Like, this is essentially the postulate of the noted scholar Rick Grimes, where it's 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 all, it's all white meat or dark meat now, you uh-huh. know? Yeah. Um, which kind of sounds vaguely racist, if you just say it like that. Is that what uh, he says? Yeah, he says that before he almost throws Merle off the roof in season one. Before he eats a whole chicken. Before he eats a whole chicken. Yep. He only eats the breast and he did the thighs and the leg. Uh-uh, uh-uh. Because he's racist. <laughs> he grew up in Georgia. What <laughs> do you want? He's fleshist. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so, I don't even know. But that's like, he's not wrong. Like, when you're fighting the army of the dead, everyone is breathing should be your ally. Yeah. But I don't know if Cersei knows that. <laughs> sure. And even if you drop a convinced. white right in her lap, I don't think it's going to. She's going to yeah. try to figure out how to use it to her own advantage. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some good stuff from Tormund here when he asks who who he brought with him. Uh, the big woman? Did you bring yeah. her with you? Have you? Do you follow? Uh, I don't forget this guy's actor on Twitter, but he's been sending a bunch of at replies to Gwendolyn Christie that have like gifts, different different type, different animated gifts uh, with the. Yeah. Uh, uh, Tormund and uh, Brienne's face pasted on them. It's it's pretty entertaining. Pretty entertaining. That's pretty good. How's Gwendolyn uh, responding? Pretty good. Also, he he also found uh, a I think it was a Tormund action figure with the with the Brienne of Tarth action figure, and he was making them kiss and stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I think I feel like they're all. I mean, I think it's cute. I think it's funny. Mm-hmm. Like it wouldn't be funny if like Tormund was much larger, but since like I fully yeah. know, I I fully believe that 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 Brienne, if she wanted, could cave in his face at any time. It's it kind of reduces it to like a school a schoolyard like pulling on pigtails situation. So for you, sure, it reads yeah. as cute to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wouldn't if 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 it was all capable for him to threaten Brienne. But since he can't, it's more of a, just a, her discomfort of it and the fact that, like, I don't even know if it's a discomfort. It's just the fact that she's never had, like, a relationship where, yeah. you know, she's been the, the the one that pines, but she's never been on this end where she's been an object of desire and she's not quite sure what to feel about it. I don't think she right. just is not interested. It's just like this is a this is a foreign foreign uh, foreign concept to her. Yeah. So I'm sure everyone loves hearing the 40-year-old man's opinions on the inner thoughts of uh of, of the, the warrior woman but that's a, that's my read of it yeah that's what the show has told us i think yeah uh and that's it for the episode we uh ran a little bit long here on the recap it's tough I don't, I don't think it was like a super long episode i think it was just a lot to talk about yeah it's also like you know again the you know a lot was made about the seven samurai the magnificent seven the suicide squad it was cool to see them all come together and i even liked the 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 fact that like all of these people have so many reasons not to trust each other and so much bad history, but mm-hmm. you know they're welded together and like maybe that's a way to understand the Cersei part of it that like if you could crack her impenetrable smug skull with some some idea that like look if you don't stop your bullshit everyone will die. Mm-hmm. Let's take care of this, then we can get back to killing each other. Maybe it'll work. Maybe yeah. at my most charitable. She does want to fight and die as opposed to surrender and die. It, it just so. seems it seems like even if it's possible that the fact that all the good guys are on board with the the good guys and gals are on board with the plan is is a bit much. So Okay. Today's podcast is sponsored by Casper. 
Casper makes an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. And I've been sleeping very satisfactorily on a Casper mattress for the past three years. And mm. it's not like it replaced, um, I don't know, a bed of broken branches and glass. Like it was, <laughs> uh, it was a very, very comfortable, high-end, store-bought mattress. And I got the Casper, and I slept on it, and I threw the other one right out. Right out the window, get out of here! It's garbage. Mm. Uh, because here's the thing: like, and, and I've tried memory foam mattresses before, and sometimes, mm-hmm. like, you know, they, they'd be too hot or they'd be a little bit too firm. Uh, Casper's deal is that they've like got a bunch of different blends and layers to give you just the right amount of sink and just the right amount of bounce uh, to give to, to give you the kind of temperature uh, that, that just, that's comfortable in a wide range of sleeping conditions. Uh, and the other thing that's really cool is that you can try it for 100 nights risk-free. They dropped this thing. I got a king-size mattress. It came in a box about two by two by three. Uh, if you've ever had to get a, a king-size mattress up or down a, a two-story <laughs> two apartment building or something or three-story, it's such a pain in the butt. And this thing just comes like all compressed, and they got a special tool that slices it open without damaging the pattern. The thing just flops out and expands to its full size. Um, and it just, just makes it so convenient. And if you don't like it, they will come and pick it up and either have it recycled or, or hauled off uh, at, the, at their own expense. Um, so it's completely risk-free. Like, you can't do that with any other conventional mattress. Mm-hmm. Go to a mattress store and say, hey, I want to yoink this thing for 100 days. I'll return it with sweat stains and God knows else on it, and you'll be cool <laughs> with that, right? They will throw you out. They will call the cops and have you arrested. That's a fact. That's, that's happened. Not, that's not a Casper talk, yeah. talking about. That's just a fact that everyone knows. Right. Casper won't do that to you. Over 20,000 reviews, an average of 4.8 stars. It's becoming the Internet's favorite. But do you know how hard it is to maintain a 4.8? I, I know we, from We've a, tried it. We don't have it on iTunes this podcast. reviews. Yeah. It's really hard to keep the high four nines when you get thousands of reviews. They got, uh, they, they, they got this thing on lock. Um, free shipping returns to the U.S. and Canada. Hmm. Even the lands of always winter in Canada. Free, free, free shipping and returns there. Uh, it's designed, developed, and assembled in the United States. Bottom line is, if you're looking for a great mattress, Casper's got it. You can get $50 off uh, any mattress purchase by going to casper.com slash GOT and using our exclusive promo code GOT at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. If you want a better night's sleep, check out Casper. Today's podcast also sponsored by Bald Move at club.baldmove.com. You can join the club and get a bunch of exclusive off. It, it offers just the right bounce, just the right sync for your podcasting experience. It's obsessively engineered club experience. Is uh, it? I mean, I work on it in my spare time <laughs> when I'm not doing podcasts. So the club experience is a little weak, I got I to gotta say. But the content... Content that, strong. Content's great. The content content is, game is strong. You get you get memory f- foam based content. You do. You do. You get you get uh, you get free. You get you get you ad free podcasts. You do. Uh, you get a bunch of exclusive bonus audio content, such as our quit your pitching series, uh, the Empire Bu- uh, Business series, where we talk about the what's it like to be behind the scenes of a, a podcast startup. Lunch with Jim and Aaron, our Friday afternoon spectaculars, where we just get on the mics and talk about. Whatever, it's a general interest podcast exclusive to club members uh, and, and a lot more. Also, you can, watch, you can watch us record most podcasts. It's the quickest way to actually get a podcast. You can see where we goof up and where we have to make edits and stuff. It's a good time for everybody. 
Uh, all that and more can be had at club.baldmove.com. And hey, you also support us making all these podcasts essentially for free. The vast majority of our of our content is available for free for anyone to enjoy. We just like to incentivize people to support us with a little bonus content. And, uh, you know, you get a little, little, little karmic reward for uh, helping the little guys out here at baldmove.com. So go to club.baldmove.com. Check out the pitch there. See all the special features. And, hey, test drive it for 30 days free with uh, when you sign up. Uh, check it out, club.baldmove.com. Why don't we get the feedback? Uh, sure. Rashida D. Uh, was listening. So, you know, of course, we've got a little bit of old business to, to, fit, to, to get to first. Was listening to the 704 recap, and you mentioned that Brand knows a treachery that Baelish has been up to. Why is he still walking around? Never read the book, so all my knowledge of the Raven is show-based, but it appears the Raven sees he doesn't do. The Raven we first met is in a cave connected to a tree. He may have affected things telepathically as he got a glimpse of this possibility from Bran at the Tower of Joy, but has never concretely expressed that he, the original Raven, manipulated situations. It doesn't seem like the Raven is supposed to interfere with the goings-on of regular fro- folk. I'd be a little disappointed if the Raven used his power to settle personal scores. So do you think there's this unspoken prime directive amongst three-eyed ravens that they're allowed they're kind of like a Gandalf that they're allowed to advise and give information but they're not really allowed to directly influence the the the, the course of the, the struggle? I don't know. I mean, I don't I'm not sure how the line of ravens would be um sort of continued without some sort of interference like if you're going to perch yourself way up in the north where no humans go, how are you going to get pe- – it seems like to me like you have to tell people, hey, come up here or, or force them to come up there to pass on your – Well, that's the thing. You can you can offer the invitation, whatever. but like Brand could have just rejected it. Mm-hmm. So that's the difference between influence versus – you know, whereas Brand just says, oh, Sansa, Littlefinger did this, and oh, by the way, he also did this, so probably should cut his head off. I mean, what's uh, the difference between sending a raven that, you know, says, hey, you need to deal with this problem here? Uh, yeah. Like, that. that is not manipulation because it's not – because it's known to the person receiving the message, right? Yeah. But it's certainly pushing events in a direction you want them to go. Well, but on the other hand, ask Kirk, Picard, Janeway, Cisco, and whoever the fuck Quantum Leap dude was what the prime directive means. Sure. I bet you get yeah. five different answers. Right. Yeah. So Max von Sydow wouldn't have done that shit. <laughs> no, no, no. Brain's he's taking liberties. He's more of a Picard, you know, original <laughs> constitutionalist view. Brands the, the Kirk. Yeah. I guess. Brands the Kirk. Brands the Kirk. Okay. Or he could be the Janeway because the yeah. Janeway was like completely roll of the dice, flip of the coin about how she'd interpret the Prime Directive. Right. <laughs> like, it, will the Prime Directive fuck my crew over? Then I will absolutely will it settle a petty score. Then fuck the Prime Directive anyway. <laughs> OMC, I've been listening and reading lots of reviews of last week's episode and the season in general, and I'm a bit disappointed not hearing any more respect for Sansa, who I think is doing an amazing job running Winterfell and managing family reunions. The most important point, I think, has been missing is what I vaguely anticipated her reunion with Arya to include. Uh, That is, Arya saying, I took out the phrase, and Sansa saying, I took out the Boltons. Sansa won the Battle of the Bastards and full-on murdered Ramsay Bolton in perfect revenge. Uh, cold blood as any of Arya's assassinations. They have each worked to protect or avenge the family. They're totally on the same team. They're incredibly capable young women. It was lovely to see them greet each other with affection and treat each other with respect in the spoils of war. Oof, about this week. Looking forward to a d- deeper connection and collaboration in the future. 
I am too, and I, I, I think I've talked myself into thinking that this is a Sansa Arya tag team of Littlefinger. Because mm-hmm. anything else just is a regression to their previous states of character development that I don't like. Yeah, and I mean, we, in the episodes where they deserved it, we have given them praise, right? That that reunion was good, yeah. and we talked about it. The the moment they had down in the crypts together. Um, I think this episode, like, Sansa's really she's walking a fine line in patience here right. because I think that's the only thing required at this moment of her is to just fucking be patient. Right. Um, and that's a very difficult thing to do when you're faced with the weight of a lot of, you know, Lords of houses screaming at you saying, this is fucking stupid. We want to do something. We've got this threat looming. Uh, being patient in this situation is difficult. And I applaud her for that. Yeah. Uh, Sasha says, uh, I, although I will say, I think it would have been cool if there'd been like, yeah, I killed the Boltons. I killed the phrase out of Ben, but you know, high five moment, freeze yeah, yeah, frame yeah. at the end of the episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sasha says, am I the only one who's grossed out by the thought of John and Danny together? I mean, they're related. People are using just, uh, I'm just going to cut you off and say, apparently, yes, yes. They're the, the vast majority of internet people want to see the dragon niece get down and dirty right. with her wolf nephew because that's not how we think of them right i mean we've talked about like what is what is the problem with the the familial relationship um when it comes to like to those extended family members right like yeah the problem a lot of the times is the familiarity that's the thing that makes us so makes it so squicky to human beings the the and they don't have any of that right the taboo on incest is probably mostly because it, it, it fucks up our population genetically and secondly, uh, most cases of incest you can think of have some sort of power imbalance. Like sure. you think of a fifty-year-old uh, 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 aunt preying on a fifteen-year-old nephew, or something like that. Something right. you're, you're, you're taking advantage of someone's youth and inexperience. Uh, in this yeah. case, uh, you're talking about you know, like isn't it like isn't it co- like technically okay for cousins? Like like genetically, genetically, just genetically, not morally, ethically. <laughs> right, or, we're not talking about that. Like I, uh, I feel like that. You know, there's certainly know. a lot of states in this here union that allow cousins to marry. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, what's the difference between an aunt and a nephew? And and like, there is no like, they're literally equals. Right, and and I mean, importantly to the story, yeah, yes, okay. Now it is starting to become a little weird now that we know John's true parentage, uh-huh. John's true roots. But for so long, we've been thinking about them as completely unrelated people. Mm -hmm. So it's very difficult to get out of that mindset, I think, at least for me. Yeah. To to see them as brother and – or as, what, aunt and nephew, I guess? Is that what the relationship is? Yeah. Is very difficult for me. Sure. Because I've never known them as that. And like I said, like I would if if I would break down my percentages, I'm saying like 95 percent of my feedback is roughly let them bone, and right? Five percent is like, is anyone else disturbed that this is an aunt and a nephew? So yeah, you're not alone. But there's a lot of people that take a look at uh, Kit Harrington's abs and mm-hmm. lats and, and and manly good looks, and a lot of people looking at Amelia. Uh, uh, curvy shape and just wanting to mash those things together, hardcore sure. HBO style. Yeah. So, uh, and I'm I'm kind of like uh, my problem with it is narrative. Like I'm not squicked out by it necessarily for all the reasons we talked about. It's more of just like I just don't think that's the story George is telling. Okay. Like this isn't a, he- a happily ever after, ice and fire forever and ever mm-hmm. until death did they part kind of thing. 
or if the death parts him, it's going to be swift and brutal. Uh, Hectate. Uh, there are at least a few characters who, if they survived in, might make a lot of sense as new recruits to Night's Watch, such as Theon, Jamie, Jorah, even perhaps the Hound. But will there be any point of a Night's Watch to exist when all is said and done? Even if the Wall is still standing, with the Wildlings now invested in life south of the Wall and the others presumably gone, is there any other reason to continue the practice of sending disgraced and defeated Westerosi north to take the Black? Yeah. Yeah, I certainly think there's value in it. Uh, the what-if factor. Right. You know, that alone kind of seems like... It's a good thing. Right. Like, you can't colonize the lands of every winter. It's like, with their technology, there's no way you can, like, effectively garrison and secure it. So how can you ever be sure that you've permanently dealt with the threat? Like, do you don't think that anyone in the last 8,000 years have asked whether it's stupid or not to send men? Yeah. Obviously, the answer is yes, because the the wall is severely undermanned at the start of the series. So, Mm. uh Yes, it's fo- it would be foolish to just completely abandon that post. Um, but also, no, I would imagine that if the White Walkers re- take another thousand years or so to regenerate, that all the same bullshit will probably happen. And maybe that could be something that George is telling us, the fact that, like, and it seems like a lesson we're doomed to repeat as a species, that you <laughs> cannot outrun, like, the repeating effects of history. Mm-hmm. Like, as desperately as you want your future generations, like, once things get out from living memory, such as, I don't know, fascism and Nazis, like, once that stuff falls out of living institutional memory, it starts creeping back up again. So yeah. what what are you going to do? Uh, keep I, fighting it. Keep keep manning the wall. I have a question about Randall Tarley being sent to the wall. All right. By anyone. By I've, his I've queen, another a queen. on-the-spot made-up answer. Ready awesome. Uh, Randall Tarley implies that he could be sent to the wall to become part of the the night's watch Mm -hmm. don't you have to take an oath don't you have to like earn a spot in the night's watch um i mean there's like it's a two-step process if if you're just sent there as a punishment i guess like yeah like there's a two-step process i suppose one is you have to be like sent to the wall and then Uh secondly you have to be or choose to go there you have to take the oath as a as a black brother okay now so you could be at the wall indefinitely forever and and just I never take the so. oath i think that what happens to you, you i think beheaded? that you'd be remanded justice if you just refuse like if you want to be a conscientious night watch uh, um you know objector uh-huh. that they're like okay well you were going to be hung for stealing a horse slash betraying the dragon queen so that's going to happen now what if you just never quite good enough at a thing <laughs> you try i mean fucking sit like you can't you can't he, he was a fine you can't shovel shit out of a stall that's the thing like you don't have to be a ranger you can be a builder you can be a smith you can what be if you a break maester. your hands break both your hands lose your hands what if you're davos with except he's the fucking maester ammon was blind and probably couldn't control his bowels or bladder they still yeah, had him a and, yeah okay yeah he was he was uh, the info guy he still had a brain and a yeah. mouth I don't know. I don't like. I, that's a good question. How do they handle malingers? How do they handle like you know? The, I imagine they just let you die if you maim yourself to avoid probably, your own. <laughs> probably, yeah. They're like fine. The infection, go would, the infection would kill you. Yeah, like, let's be real. They don't have Neosporin. It's true. They got milk of the poppy. They got the moon tea, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Anything. If you're if you're pregnant, they can make you not pregnant. If you're in pain, they can make you not feel it. Everything else, right? You're you're fucked. Uh, all right, Funk. After listening to yesterday's episode, you discussed John taking the Stark name at the fifty-five minute mark. I was thinking about what would happen if hypothetically John and Daenerys got married. Typically, you take the man's name in marriage, but with John being a bastard, Snow would he take the Targaryen name? 
Uh, could he take the Stark name? Do we have any background from the books or otherwise about how that would shake out? He's not a bastard. He's a true-born Targaryen. Yeah, apparently. but so... The, so the, yeah, that's I think a batter. That's that's kind of settled that he could. Uh, when he, so he, he's a bastard. Um, I think if you're legitimized, which I think since John's the king in the north, he can self-legitimize because only the king or queen can legitimize you. So if you're the king, like even the concept of being a bastard, what the hell does that even mean? Like you'd have to make a strong stand of like I like being a bastard and I don't want to legitimize yourself. Yeah. If you're legitimized, I think you can take. Uh, your fam- your family's name. If you're a bastard, like we talked about how you kind of like inverse the heraldry and you can like start your own house name. Like, for example, the Blackfire Targaryens got their name when uh, the, the, the one of the one of the, the, the bad kings, uh, a- uh, was it the Aegon the Unworthy, mm-hmm. legitimized all of his bastard children on his deathbed. And, you know, these guys are previously had called themselves the Blackfire and had gone with the Black Dragon on the Red Field were now legitimate Targaryens um, and could take that the name if they wanted to. As far as marriage, um, it seems like Game of Thrones follows the same rules of of modern-day royalty where you can't marry into royal blood. So, like, Queen Cersei Lannister would not become Queen Cersei Baratheon just because she married Robert because her blood is not royal blood. Hmm. Uh, now that she's the queen of by her own right, she could be. But like like Prince Philip, uh, did not become a Windsor when he married Queen Elizabeth. Hmm. Um, nor did he become a king. He's the prince consort. So okay. it's, it's one of those things where like the royal it's the royal blood that matters, and that's where the last name stays. Gotcha. Um, so there you go. And if you want know in the moment, if you want to know more, go pester a Brit about it because. <laughs> Don't, I, I, I don't know more than that, and it makes my head hurt thinking about the whole titles and heraldry and all that. Also, don't bother educating me on email, because I'm not going to read it. <laughs> don't okay. care. Uh, Ryan D., uh, in the 704 recap, you mentioned how ruthless the Dothraki were and how difficult it might be for them to integrate into modern society. This got me thinking about Dan Carlin's excellent Wrath of Khan's podcast. He explained how the Chinese Yan Huan dynasty began with Kublai Khan, uh, Genghis's grandson, but after only a generation or two, the children, the Mongols got soft, started enjoying a more modern Chinese urban lifestyle, etc. Hell yeah. Giving all the other Mongol parallels, I wonder if they'll hint at the Dothraki becoming more Westerosi by the end. I wonder how they're enjoying Dragonstone so far. The Xbox in the Dragonglass Cave. Right. John finds. I mean, you can already see how, like, Cal Drogo started to go a bit soft. Uh huh. When he was getting honey dicked by by Danny, it's like, uh, oh, we have to do all this rape and pillaging. I don't, you know, like it's, uh, I, that absolutely is a real thing. Like to the extent that some cultures have this this edge because they don't have creature comforts and they, you know, are are more inured to hardships and heat and cold and things like that. It's amazing how quick you lose it once you get some silks, you get mm-hmm. some silk sheets, you get some warm food in your belly. You get a roof that doesn't leak over your head, and suddenly you're yeah. afraid to lose all those things like all of other soft, soft, soft people. Get sweet, sweet Casper mattress. Right. You're done for, man. Yeah, you don't want to lose you're all that. Survive in the harsh winter. So I, I think you I think you might be onto something here, Ryan, that uh, they they could show uh, – I mean, I mean, at least hint. Uh, and there's probably going to be generations of, you know, the racist bullshit they're going to have to overcome, and they're going to be not quite – they're going to be seen as – new rich or newly entitled but like you know the reality is they could be uh the lords and ladies in a generation or two of significant houses uh i mean because like forget that like that what is the original westerosi they're the children of the forest 
Mm-hmm. And then it was the first men, and then it was the Andals. So it's like, who, this happens all the time. Some horde of unwashed savages comes over to continent and takes everything over. They'll be, right. They will be integrated like everything else. They'll be like the new, new gods. will be the horse gods and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, Edward R., uh, I know you're going to do season two of Game of Thrones after this season, but when are you going to do season three? If we really have to wait a long time for the final season, would we be able to get season three coverage before the final season? So, Never. Never. We're just going to leave a blank spot. <laughs> One, two, four, five, six, seven, eight. There's a lot of conver- There's a lot of discussion. I think our original plan was we would do every backfilling season because uh, we, we didn't have the first three seasons of Game of Thrones for, for reasons that is, is too long to explain here. Uh, we did... We backfilled season one after season six of last year. We're going to do season two after season seven. And our thought was just to finish after season eight, we just do, you know, season three and then we're done. Now knowing the Game of Thrones is not going to come back to 2019, I could see us doing like a random Game of Thrones coverage in the middle of next year because everyone's going to be kind of hankering for it. Yeah. And in one of our slow spots, potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The the plans for... Seasons two and three, I think, are still up in the air, right? Mm-hmm. No, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I'm pretty committed to doing season two after this season. Okay. All right. I got from a conversation earlier that you were questioning that. but I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to be super fun, and it's, <laughs> it might, there might be some tight scheduling, but like, I think it's the best <laughs> It's best for Bald Move, for sure. Okay. Um, but season three, I mean, the only thing I tell you is like, uh, subscribe to our social media and follow us on baldmove.com. Subscribe to this feed too, because that's where they'll pop up. Right, 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 right. And we don't, we don't just randomly drop bullshit. Like if you, you know, you subscribe to a feed, the next time you'll see a new podcast is when we have something like, you know, valuable to contribute, like another season, you know, either season eight or season, season two or season three, you know, Mm -hmm. um, it won't be like just blowing up over stupid stuff. John S. says, hey, guys, do you remember how many, uh, recall how many Dothraki warriors Danny has with her? I seem to remember the number 100,000, but I'm not sure how that refers to the total number of Dothraki, um, men, including men, women, and children who now follow her or what? So I don't know how many she left back in Marine, and I don't right. know how many she was able to bring over on the boats. Right. I think 100,000, because here's the thing. Danny had Drogo's. Kalasar at the beginning, yeah. which was the largest of them, but it was just one of many Kalasars ran by various cows that you know spring up, break off, retire, get killed, all that stuff. Um, she now has all of the Kalasars from everywhere. Like all the Dothraki have now sworn allegiance to her, so she's yeah. got a shit ton. Like when Jamie says that this this Dothraki army couldn't be beat by any army he's ever seen. That's 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 a that's a huge thing for him to say because he's seen, you know, armies of twenty, thirty thousand fielded against each other at any one time. So yeah. like it's a big number, but are the double D's sweating numbers right now? It doesn't seem to be. Yeah, you're supposed to you're supposed to believe what you've been told, which is it, it's big enough to defeat single handedly any any army on Westeros right now. Mm-hmm. Let's get to the new stuff now. Adam S. When Arya is following Littlefinger, you hear Raven's call multiple times, from my count in his room alone, five separate times. As much as it seems that Arya is being set up by Littlefinger, who thinks he's so fucking clever, could it actually be that Arya sees through this and knows he's being played and Bran is already watching Mr. Chaos in the act? With his Ravens and Arya not being such a stupid little girl anymore, together could they convince Sansa that it's time to survive as a pack and finally bring an end to the sniveling, conniving prick that has been a thorn in the Stark side this whole time? What do you think of the... The Counting Crows in the room here. Because I didn't notice it. 
I didn't either. Um, I did verify that it's true. Um, and it, I guess it, I'm open to the idea that the Stark Alliance extends beyond Sansa and Arya and includes Bran too. Mm-hmm. Um, because, or like, you know, as he postulates, maybe this is going to be Bran and Sansa teaming up to teach, you know, the, 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 to teach reason to Arya. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I like, I, but, but I like it. And I, I remember there was a lot of, in season one and two, there was some talk about like paying attention to wind crows or in the backgrounds and some potentially, and I don't think that anything came of that, but like, you know, obviously now the crows are very associated with, with brand being his eyes and ears. So if they're including all that crowing there, it's probably significant. Yeah. Or maybe Littlefinger's rooms just underneath the rookery. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen a floor plan of Westeros. I don't know or uh, uh, the Winterfell. I haven't seen where they checked him in at, but you never know. Andrea R. Why bring Gendry back if he's not to play an important role? Uh, is he going to be important for him and his lady Arya? If you recall in previous seasons, he always referred to Arya as his lady. Is he going to found the new house Baratheon? And does that even matter at this point? Is he actually not a bastard and is actually Cersei and Robert's firstborn black-haired beauty son that died from fever? Would Cersei know or care that it was him? Is that Robert's actual Warhammer? And if so, how did Gendry get it? Whew. There's a lot of questions that I don't have great answers for. Let's take him in reverse. Is that Robert's actual Warhammer? I say no. I don't no. think so, no. Like the, the, I think the fact that he works at the Streets of Steel, that you're supposed to understand that in part of his preparation is that he made himself a bomb-ass hammer. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of disappointed that he didn't make himself a bull-headed uh, uh, a helmet or a stag-headed helmet yeah. that he can wear, because someone should fucking wear helmets. <laughs> like, they're not even wearing hats up north. What the hell? Yeah. Um, is this Robert's firstborn black-haired beauty son who died from a fever? Doubt it. Yeah, I seriously doubt it too, but I, there's nothing that says it isn't, I suppose. I mean, that's a show-only thing too. That was um, that was a speech that, that in, in season one, famously, the Double Ds asked for ten episodes worth of budget. They got it, and then they wrote like eight and a half episodes worth of script, started filming it, and realized they were short. So yep. they, they wrote like some of the best stuff in season one. There again, ammunition, if you want to say the Double Ds are hacks, look at this. Some of the best stuff is show-only stuff, like the conversations between Cersei and Robert, the conversations mm-hmm. between Cersei and, and uh, Catelyn, where all this stuff came out. So I would tend to not think of that, since that's a show-only thing, and the fact that Gendry's showing up late in the series means he's important, which probably means he's important in the books as well. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think that we're supposed to understand that. Yeah, um, it, it's apparent that Gendry will have some bigger purpose in the story, though. Which surprises me. Would Cersei know or care? I I doubt it on both of those questions. Mm. Um, would he found the new house Baratheon? I I don't know, and I don't know what it would mean for the plot. Like like what would that look like? Mm-hmm. Like I always think of like questions like this is like imagining how the throne rooms like the the celebration scene at the end of Star Wars goes. Like if Leia instead of handing out medals had to be like, okay, Han, now you're found you get to found you you're the disgraced son of a Corellian pirate and you get to found the house so like who gives a shit? It's the end of the movie. Everyone's happy because they won. Yeah. Like Gendry going and getting a castle I don't think is going to be dealt with. Um now him and his lady Arya there's a lot of talk in the beginning beginning phase about like if that that was going to be some romantic angle. It sure doesn't feel like it at this point though. 
No, but uh, an episode ago I was saying Gendry's never coming back, so right. what the fuck do I know? Confirmed. Gendry and Arya. Yeah. Gar, Gar, the Garya is a thing. Everything I know is wrong. Yep. Everything I think will never happen is right. Uh... All right, Evan G. I was listening to your instant take, and I was wondering if maybe the roadmap, which you guys jokingly referred to as a couple of bullet points, that Gurm gave the double Ds is just leading them down a completely different road than he is actually planning to going down in the books. Possibly just as a way to fuck with people or as a way of rewarding the book readers with a more true ending, or maybe he's using it as a method to figure out which direction to actually take the books by finding out what works with an audience and what doesn't. <laughs> I don't know what to say to this. Like... What a colossal asshole you must think George Martin to be. <laughs> yeah. To to purposely take a multi-million dollar production <laughs> on a weekly fucking basis and troll them. Th- that's based on your own goddamn property. Like, you're not trolling just the fans of the show. You're trolling everyone. Like, I, I, no way. So no way. He's not more, doing it intentionally, but he might change the story later. Like, the more interesting, and you'll never know the difference. The, that's the, the more interesting thing is him seeing the audience reaction to some things. And yeah, George, all George can say is like, either this is how I would do it or how I wouldn't, or like this is how I would do it, but it's not working because it's not well explained. So I can wet more, I can better explain it, and people will like it better. Sure, and I think that's totally plausible. But him to deliberately mislead the double Ds into something for first of all, like from what I heard, these conversations took place in the very early goings before the first episode was written. And if it didn't sound good or plausible, the double Ds would probably be like, "What the fuck?" Mm-hmm. But everyone, you know, like I got the mind, I got the idea that their minds were relatively blown by some. Like I remember there was a there was some sort of behind-the-scenes material where they're talking about, for example, Hodor dying. And that was one of those moments they talked about that there was like four or five moments in these notes that George gave him where they're just like, oh, shit, that's cool. We got to nail that right. And, you know, I'm not sure what others to come, if there's if there's been some that we've already come, that we've already seen. Uh, I, I, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I, I've, I've, I... He's only human. I don't think the books are going to be written be honest if they are written he would be a fool not to take information from the show to try to either better explain or better pull off the things that double d's either uh failed to to do or failed to uh to satisfy the audience or to just really lean into the stuff that works well that are big big crowd pleasing moments because why wouldn't he yeah yeah you can at least um get a sense of why people didn't like certain things Right. If it was too rushed, if it didn't, you know, fulfill their expectations. Right. Um, and then maybe write around those problems. I but. certainly don't think that George, like, I think the the creatively fulfilling way to do it would be to ignore everything that's happening on the show and yeah. just write in a vacuum. But so, I already know, because he goes and, you know, he he goes on his blog and, and, and tells people like, Oh, that's not how I would have done it. Mm-hmm. Or like the shows are very like, so he's paying He's, he's keeping up with this. So the creator going in a vacuum and telling a story that that's off the table. Yeah. So, but I, I'm with you. I don't think he's that big of an asshole. Uh, Katie P says overall, I'd say I enjoyed this episode, even with its fast pacing. I do have some complaints. There are about 50,000 conversations. I wanted to witness Jorah and John and the Mormon sword or Sam's connection to both. Gendry and John discussing Arya, for example. The Hound discussing Arya and Sansa with John. The list goes on. That's a really good point. Like Gendry says, "I met your dad once, not that I was 
with your sister for the better part of two and a half seasons. Uh-huh. Like, that seems kind of crazy. Yep. Um, we didn't talk about the the problem of the brothers. What? The two brothers. Remember, we were speculating on, oh, maybe John, you know, knew about uh, oh, Bran. Right. And in this episode, he says, I didn't fucking know Bran was alive. I issued a fucking correction that the King of the yeah. North didn't get. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a way you can say that, like... He knew Sam told him he was alive, but he figured and, af- and every alive month at some point. Yeah. And I know what it's like to be north of the wall. He's a crippled boy with this other little girl. Like, but there's then, no way. Retrospective, that two brothers thing doesn't make a lot of sense right. either. So, right, the fuck, yeah, something's I, messed up there. Yeah, it didn't. I, you're right. That we could have we could have counted some counted some uh, coup on that. Uh, let's see. Sorry, I, f- I totally interrupted. No, Katie. Katie's fine. She said it's okay. Okay. Uh, I find that with these people traveling such distance together, it would give them more time to make some of these connections, and I find it hard to believe that they aren't. But as a viewer, we'd assume that they just don't get to know each other any better during their uh, travels. Hell, Tyrion and Varys had time to discuss a billion important things on their way to Essos, and Tyrion was literally in a box for the majority of the trip. I find the lack of these connections disappointing. I agree. Um increasingly i'm not understanding why they did seven episodes mm-hmm. like that particular number um maybe it's just because they couldn't afford to film the the spectacle we've seen and get full 10 episodes but on the other hand when you use throw around terms like a ford when you're talking about the largest television show in the world yeah uh that's very hard for me to to believe for sure um yeah. so i don't i don't know because you're right it's not like in previous seasons we didn't get long conversations of Tyrion and you know Varys in a fucking wagon we saw Lady Olena and cruising around in a wagon we saw lots of different like you know tra- we used to call it the traveling roadshow Bronn and Tyrion yeah it's just a symptom of reaching the end and having to get to the conclusion at a rapid pace right I mean those scenes aren't not being shot because they can't afford them they're not being shot because they don't have time for them but is that true because like why does everyone have to meet on the fucking beach of Dragonstone why can't there be like a scene on a boat where they're Mm -hmm. sitting down and actually making these meaningful connections like, it's the same amount of verbiage and screen time, but you're now suggesting the passage of time, right. which alleviates some of this jetpacking complaints. You're, 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 you're giving more time for the story to breathe. You're not really increasing the budget. Yeah, I feel like a lot of those scenes are being done because you need you need to show some interaction. Like, they're, they're trying to show some interaction between characters that are parting ways, mm-hmm. and they're also trying to stuff in, like, interaction between characters who are not parting ways into those scenes. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're they're just trying to shortcut it from both ends and it's not quite working. Right. Yeah. Uh Matthew L is the first guy that want that brought up the problems with Maggie DeFrog's prophecy. I wanted to give him credit and the feedback about like does this invalidate the prophecy? Does now that she's got because we already knew she had four kids almost and now she's gonna perhaps have five. Is it going to kill her in childbirth? All those questions, and by the way, we'll talk a lot more about that in the uh, spoiler edition. Uh, if you if you want to wait for that, um, moving on to Bradley H. Uh, the sequence of the brand controlled crows is pretty cool, but I think my favorite part was when the Night King looked at them and they dispersed. Do you think Brand deliberately retreated once he realized the Night King saw him, or does he have an ability to somehow disrupt Brand's warging? Yeah, the latter was my impression of the scene. Right. Brandon seemed almost disturbed by the Night King, Night's King, whatever the fuck he's called, uh, being able to 
break his spell over the Ravens. Yeah, he's like Zoolander. He whipped that blue steel, and Bran couldn't maintain the warg through it. <laughs> yeah, no, it shocked him. <laughs> uh, yeah, he, he seemed surprised by it, uh-huh. almost. Or not surprised, but like n- not like he willingly broke off that connection. Yeah. Okay. That's just how I read the look on his face. All right. And then his reaction of like, you know, when, when we finally got them back in Winterfell seems like mm-hmm. not as nonchalant as if he had just deliberately closed contact. It seemed like it was uh, a, a little bit of psychic force being used. Yeah. Uh, on a similar note, I was wondering just how much the Night King knows about our main characters. He's met John. He's met Bran while green seeing. Does he know that they're related? He's met met i mean they're not exactly shaking hands he here raised his he glo- he he, they, he, he had a full gloat based language conversation <laughs> over the water so. he raised his hands what more do you want <laughs> come out to me bro uh i don't i mean i don't think he knows anything about them other than these are the leaders of the forces i'm trying to destroy well i mean i but i, but a, I couldn't say that for sure yeah. like i said we got to make an appeal to ignorance we don't know how this stuff works. It's possible through the psychic connection that he's divined everything that Bran knows about, you know. Right. Or if there, to the extent that there is a special relationship between the Starks and the Wall and the Night's Watch, which has been hinted many times in both the shows and the books, maybe he would be able to sense their starkness, mm-hmm. um, this ancient bloodline. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like... The Starks go back to the the founding of the Wall. I don't know yeah. that I know the Baratheons didn't. They're an offshoot of Targaryens. Uh, you know, there's a lot of like you know the Casterlys got taken over by the Lannisters at some point. The the Gardeners got taken over by the Tyrells. Like a lot of the, there's there's ancient houses and there's ancient houses and like for the fucking Starks are an ancient house. So mm-hmm. if anyone's gonna have some kind of special psychic relationship with the Night King, it'd probably be them. But that's just me making wild ass guesses. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Adam S has a real quick question. I've been to Iceland a few times. Actually, an observation. It's kind of cool. I've been to Iceland a few times. Fantastic place. I'm slightly obsessed with it. I mentioned this because myself and my partner, Gen C, recognized in the preview for next week the most photographed mountain in all of Iceland, Kirkjufell slash Church Mountain. It's a very distinctive land formation, absolutely unmistakable, and is famous for how particular it is. The preview for next week's show... Uh, shows John's team walking to a mountainous region with Kirkjufell in the center of the shot, apparently framed as their destination. Note, this is not the first time I've recognized Kirkjufell on Game of Thrones. Per the attached screenshot, the same mountain is clearly featured in the background of the scene when the children of the forest made the first White Walker. Mm. Dum, dum, dum. All right. See, before you asked this email, I was assuming that that was going to be like the fist of the first man or something. Um that's interesting, the fact that they're potentially journeying to the birthplace of the White Walkers. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to make of it, but the photographic evidence is unmistakable. I mean, it is literally the same mountain. Yeah. I think that the people on the Game of Thrones production know that. I think that they probably intend us to recognize the location in context, and maybe something amazing is going to happen. Maybe. But I I literally don't know anything other than that 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 the, those details what it could be. Yeah, it suggests to me that something important is going to be there, and I don't know if it's just going to be as simple as more scribblings on more rocks. Um, that It'll John be another is going to recognize. Yeah, yeah, it could just be as simple as that. Or 
I, I think we saw that there were a lot of stones set up in a specific arrangement at that location. There is. There's spy, that's the spiral. Yeah. The, was was around the ritual that they used to convert the dude into the White Walker. But what significance that's going to have to these seven dudes? And also, I, what's like, in, more importantly, what significance is it going to have to John? Because right. John didn't see that vision. John yeah. has no idea how the White Walkers were formed. I don't think mm-hmm. he's going to, the Night King's going to take his time to explain with an elaborate hand-raising gestures what it means to him yeah so it could just be like an easter egg for for us or it could be something to bring or sam's on his way up beyond the wall and he's gonna <laughs> roll up the with scroll. the scroll right yeah. right right who knows um i don't know i don't know seems uh like a very jurassic parky episode next time a very a lot of running and screaming yeah uh Cherie w why is it not mentioned that randall tarley actually fought for danny's father during the uh, robert's rebellion the Tyrells and her bannermen were the only ones that stayed loyal. Were amongst the only ones that stayed loyal to the Mad King. Why is Randall willing to die for Cersei for all the monarchs he's been loyal to? He's betrayed his liege lord Tyrells. Why can't he change his allegiance now? Uh, I, I, great questions. Like we mentioned in the main podcast, that there is a difference between supporting a local versus a foreign-born queen. Mm-hmm. There's the fact that they don't like the Dothraki and they're afraid of them and they don't respect the eunuch army. Um, I mean, I think those are good. Re- those are are they good reasons? I don't know. Is there any reason good enough to die by Dragonfire? Probably not. <laughs> but I think these are the reasons that he chose and cited himself for for dying rather than bending the knee. Yeah. Um, it is. I was always a question like you know whenever there's like a you know, present day earth versus independence day type of like thing. Like they always seem like you can't ever give up, but is it okay to give up sometimes to give up? Like when if you the, like the, the extinction of humanity is at stake. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, 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 not. Ex- okay. That's a bad example because the independence day guys yeah. are going to like take our oceans and atmosphere and leave us with nothing. Right. But let's say if they're like a Danny situation, we're like, okay. look, we just want to conquer you on behalf of the Federation of Planets. You can largely live <laughs> okay. as you live. It's new yeah. management. If it's an Earth Final Conflict situation, you, you have to. Yeah, you have to swallow your pride a little bit. But that's we're not going to be freezing you and eating you. We're not going to steal your oceans. It's just going to be like, at what point are you just a pig-headed moron for dying for a futile cause? Yeah, uh, I, I think Randall Tarley was at that point. Yeah, I would have said, yeah, you know what? Fuck it. You got the dragons. Right. You got the armies. You're yeah. right. I'm learning to be a little schemer, ske- a, a bit of a schemer here. Yeah. Uh, but th- I mean, just this is the final oath that he has left in his life, and he is very much a man of oaths. I will say it would have been sick, and I would. Uh, this is one of the things that made this episode better. Uh, is if Danny had just like surely she knows enough about Westerosi history, or Tyrion mm-hmm. that was right there beside her would be would would say that like you fought for her her father, mm-hmm. like you're the you're the OG Targaryen loyalist. What the hell? Yeah. Um, but they didn't do that. No. Um, I get the decision. So so I guess I get the decision from Randall because he's an old man and he doesn't have much time left and this is the hill he's going to die on, literally. Um, Dickon, I kind of understand where he's coming from too because he's raised by this man, right? Like the the thing that was most important yeah. to him, it seems, is impressing his old man right. and living up to his standards. And so when right in front of him, his old man refuses to bend the knee, I can't see Dickon going any other way. Yeah. I mean, just, and it's almost tragic in a way because right. Randall has raised him to be this, and right. when he shows himself to be true, 
this is his worst nightmare, right? And he like, auto, he's he's literally and then, you know those these guys follow the faith of the seven. That's the other wild card. Is like you know I'm talking as a secular humanist atheist. My life is one of the most precious things because I'm never going to get another one. If you believe that you're going to go to seven heavens or seven hells if you do the wrong thing, that really changes the arithmetic. Sure, yeah. Um, so it's hard for me to put myself in a place because I don't have the father, mother, maid, warrior, smith, stranger, danger, <laughs> looking over and judging my actions. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, Adam B., uh, now that Gilly has told us they're ragger, had his marriage to Elia Martell annulled and had a secret marriage, presumably to Lyanna Stark, that would make Jon Snow the true heir to the Iron Throne. Uh, and if you wonder why that is, Rhaegar is the oldest son to the Mad King. You have to exhaust all of Rhaegar's eligible sibling, uh, children before you can jump back up the family tree and then go down to find Danny as the heir. Right. Uh, so what happens should both Danny and Jon learn of this? Does Danny back off requests saying that she is the rightful heir? Does she then back John, or does she feud with John and tell him that he needs to step down away from any hmm. claim to the throne? She's kind of pinned herself in a little bit here yeah. with this whole my name gives me the right, right to be queen. I don't think that's her entire claim, but that's a big uh, part of not, it. Yeah. It's a big part of it. It is. What do you think she would do? Uh, I think she would suggest some kind of mutual rulership. Such as like a marriage alliance? Yes. So 95% of the internet can, can be happy and 5% can just go vomit <laughs> right. uncontrollably? I think so. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, that's so that's essentially asking the question is, if is Danny a mad queen or not? Yeah. Because if Danny's not a mad queen, then John is a decent, honorable guy who has what's best for the realm in mind. It would make probably a good king, mostly because he doesn't want to be. Um, like secondly, uh, he's got the rightful claim. So if she goes to war and spills blood over that, that's 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 kind of mad queen territory. I guess I question what she means exactly by break the wheel because mm. if breaking the wheel is you know your idea of kind of toppling the whole system yeah of, of rulership then um she would still probably view her claim as more legitimate and she probably wouldn't want to be queen you know in the end but she wouldn't want anybody ruling over it period yeah um, oh so, so you're john so you're saying is like i can't guarantee that we will be broken if i let john take the the, the wheel right so so well, no, that metaphor so, worked out more, better than i thought in my head yeah john, john take the wheel <laughs> uh so, so yeah i i guess that's but then again it's like there better be some scenes where she tries to win him to her side and i think he'd be pretty easy to persuade that like hey we need to make sure that people have more direct representation or however mm-hmm. like i you know this seems like as the weeks go by my idea that i've had for seasons and seasons that like that this is going to end up in some sort of democratic institution um yeah but i i'm not saying it's going to be really 21st century uk like constitutional monarchy right. with the part, but it's yeah, it's it's got. She won't be signing any any constitutions. But on the other hand, anything less than that doesn't have any. Like like, what are we sure. wanting? Are we wanting like a Magna Carta, which is more between the lords and the king than than it is between the people? But mm. like, I mean, what what would be believable? But I know what is believable in the world of dragons and ice zombies. <laughs> Functional democracy impossible. Uh, okay, Mike R. I don't even like to be asking this, but has John just signed his own death warrant? Before departing Dragonstone, the last thing he tells Danny is, I wish you good fortune in the wars to come. You know who else said this exact line? 
Mance Raider right before <laughs> he was burned at the stake by Melisandre, and also Sir Arthur Dane right before he was slain by Ned Stark and company. This sign has almost become a sign-off for big characters as they take what is coming to them right on the chin. Sure. Counterpoint is it could also be uh, the Force is with you. May the Force be with you of this universe, and we just only seen it go badly. Okay. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, it could just be something badass warriors say to each other as a way of saying goodbye, and Game of Thrones being what it is, most people saying goodbye are doing it for the last time. Also... What is death in this in this universe? Yeah, yeah, you like, know, so if John. That's the other thing I want to say is like if John dies, mm-hmm. Thoros and Mur can bring people back to life. It, like yeah. if, if unless the Lord of Light's done with John, he's a functionally immortal. Right. You got to kill Thoros first. Is is my feeling on the matter? Right. And I don't know if the Night King knows this, but he's the the he's the healer of the group. You got to target him first. Yeah. And then take out the tanks. Yep. You gotta kill the medic before you take out the heavy weapons guy. Yeah. Just this you try to do it the reverse, it just doesn't end doesn't end well for you. Uh Matt P says, Maybe it's not that Daenerys and John have the hots for each other after all. Rather they send some sort of special blood bond a la Luke and Leia that goes beyond mere lust. <laughs> Perhaps the idea of marriage uh-huh. doesn't feel right to her, like how Lorraine McFly reacts after kissing Morty. At any f- solid sci-fi references, I gotta say. Yeah, at any, you, you got you got a you got a future in podcasting. If if uh, I'm any indication, <laughs> at any rate, would we socially accept the two heroes committing incest as a happy ending? Again, ninety five percent of us totally down for it. Yeah, but I'm cool with it. I was actually somewhat surprised that their that their goodbye was so chaste. Like I don't, they mm-hmm. didn't like embrace. They didn't have like a particularly long. Like clearly, Danny has got something going on. This might not be a bad way to interpret this. Like they definitely feel some kind of connection and bond and, but, but it, it, it doesn't feel like it. Like the Luke and Leia analogy is pretty solid. Yeah. Pretty solid. Like mm-hmm. there's every, like we should be attracted to each other. We should, but there's this, it's something that's icky and I don't yeah, know. I could see that. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it would work that way, but, but I, I, I that's a perfectly valid way to interpret it. Uh, okay, this is the last thing we're talking about because some people love this topic, some people fucking hate it. It's a crowd pleaser for the people that are, are willing to be pleased. It's a discussion of uh, who's the best in single con- combat. Oh, Jesus. Richie G, okay. here's my request. I rarely indulge this, and it's going to be at least another season before I do it again. Rank seven. John's crew of seven going north of the wall from worst to best in single combat, and then could Arya beat straight up the best with no face swapping? No face swapping. Yep, I, I feel like that's tying one hand behind her back. That's right. She, that's a skill she's got, man. Right. Uh, this reminds me of like a Super Smash him. Brothers throwdown. Like, <laughs> I mean, I think John's man, John or the Hound, because those are the two that the, I feel so, are the so we best. Got, we got John, we got Barrick, we got Thoros, we got the Hound, we got Jorah, we got Gendry, we got Tormund. Yeah. Tor- In my mind, it's either John or the Hound as the first, and then Tormund cleans up. John or the Hound as first and second. Okay. And then Tormund right behind. I think the Hound, hands down, is the best fighter, period. Okay. Like, he's got this. And, and, and I'm old school. I pay attention to size and strength, all things being equal. And, like, with Ari, it's not. But, right. But, like, speed. The Hound, uh, very wounded. Uh, it was everything that Brienne could do to defeat him. That's true. Yeah. And she ended up kicking him off a ledge, not necessarily just, just straight up beating him. Yep. So I think there's no way John can beat the Hound. He's got the reach. He's got the size. He's got the strength. Um, 
I don't. So I'm pretty sure John has beat Tormund. Have they gone one mano a mano? Ah, uh, man, I can't remember. They've been friends. Too he long certainly now. defeated wildlings, and you know Tormund's the best of the wildlings. So sure. like, it stands a reason that John could 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 defeat him. So I'm I'm thinking Hound John. I mean, they've always made such a big deal about what a great swordsman John is, right? Like right. He's, he's the guy the who does vo- all the training at the Night's Watch. Like he's, he's got the Valerian steel sword, right? Um, so I I put John way up there. He's Pro- beat you're White probably Walkers right. in single combat. I mean, that's pretty fucking impressive. Yeah. So, so the Hound John Tormund, uh, Barrick. Oh, above. So where we, we haven't seen so enough about Gendry yet. Gendry is strong as an ox. Mm-hmm. He's got he's got the war hammer, um, but he's largely untested in battle. Right. Um, <laughs> Thoros isn't beating anybody. Jorah is like was active in the Roberts Rebellion. I put him under he defeated. Barak. He defeated a, a much younger uh, Dothraki warrior with you know used his his armor and his 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 superior essentially battle technology. Um, where would you put him? Yeah, I put him under Barrick. Uh, Why which, under Barrick? Because I've seen Barrick fight the Hound, and ah, he did a pretty damn good job with us with his fire blade. Yeah, that's the, that's the thing. Like Hound has a weakness fire to fire. Oh, this so is a rock paper was a scissors situation. Like, could could could, yeah. could John John sets a sword on fire? He he wins the the, the against the Hound in the in a route, right? Plus, I haven't I haven't seen Barrick fight after his latest death. Like, how much is he diminished? Right. Right. Like Jorah's older. Right. Barrick's been killed once once or twice more. Right. Uh those guys are a toss up for me, I guess. And then here's the thing, like Thoros in the book, like yeah. fought and won in a lot of tournaments. And like especially mm-hmm. he was like the, 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 the grand melee champion. Like he would like when you just have like a bunch of dudes in a field and just beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. Uh he was a crowd pleaser and he did better than than, than you'd expect, but I think in this company he might be like it's either it's either it's either Thoros or Gendry at the bottom, in yep. my mind because I I think it goes the Hound, John, Tormund, Jorah, uh, ba- Jorah and Barrick. I'm gonna say are like kind of like equally, and then it's some it's and then it's Gendry and 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 Thoros somewhere in okay. the bottom. I think we're on the same page then. Right. Yeah. All right. So there you go. There you go. That's that it. Was, uh, that's uh, man. I expect them to die. The in most reverse raucous order. panel by far I ever attended was uh, great debates. Great debates. <laughs> uh, Joanna Robert uh, Robinson. I always yep. want to say Lannister. Joanna <laughs> no, Robinson. No. She moderated a panel where it was like, "Who's the best sword fighter in Westeros?" And uh. holy shit, it was like attending a riot like there's people screaming at and like booing and jeering and cheering suggestions and it was it was decided by audience screaming essentially yeah. like in a tournament style and uh i honestly don't remember who won because that's how little i care <laughs> about these fake fake medieval fights so yeah but uh, some people love them some people some do. people scream and yell for an hour about it mm-hmm. uh and if you're though then, then maybe maybe this part of the podcast satisfied you all right that's it uh, if you'd like, uh, we would, it's not it for our coverage of the week. We got a lot more to discuss in the spoiler section, a lot more questions to answer, a lot more uh, delving into whether things technically satisfy prophecies or not. Uh, still a couple of tricks and, and twists in the books that we're looking at. Um, it uh, is, is for people that have read all the books or adventuresome show watchers um, to, to check out. Uh, we do not or obliged podcasters or obliged podcasters. <laughs> we do not talk about production spoilers, so don't be like any like it, it's it, we're not we're not that kind of spoiler podcast. It's more of a spoil lore mm-hmm. uh, emphasis on lore. Um, that's Friday. 
Uh, you can send feedback into that still at Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. You can also follow us at baldmove.com and on all the in, all the social medias, essentially at or slash baldmove. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll wait to see what we make of it Friday, and then we got two more episodes to go. That's it. The season's coming to I, a close. I hope that we'll see that this is the 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 connecting episode that wasn't quite all connected mm-hmm. in an otherwise stellar, if abbreviated, season. My fear is that we are seeing the beginning of the the weight of this stuff sagging and not being able to recover the momentum. Although, you know... Yeah, we'll have to wait and see, I Wall-to-wall, CGI spectacle, throw in Ghost, get him off the milk carton, throw him into battle. Yeah. Everything's forgiven. We'll see. Uh, We'll be back Friday. We'll see you then.